The following podcast contains spoilers and adult language. We recommend listening after you've already seen the movie in question, but we're not your boss. Do what you like. Brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash matineemanities. If you like what you've heard and like to hear more, consider becoming a patron. Donations start at just $1 a month, and half of all profits after hosting costs go towards actual manatee habitat preservation. Because we figured, you know, why not? Hope you enjoy the show. this one movie um the 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 primes the prime kiss Brady I think that's how it's pronounced hmm did you like it I mean it was okay I had this um had a bunch of English people in it, which I thought was weird. They talked funny. Um, and there was, uh, there was, uh, there was this hilarious cameo by Billy Crystal. So, that was... <laughs> and, uh, you know... There was this this old guy who kept interrupting the story, and that was annoying. Um, but I mean, other than that, old guy. <laughs> but other than that, I mean, it was fine. Welcome back to Madden Mantis, the best podcast <laughs> ever existed. <laughs> Don't ever promise, please. <laughs> Sorry. That's <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I'm Ben. I'm Sam. And this is one of our sponsored episodes. Shout outs to Heidi Butler, who uh, is one of our patrons and chose this week's episode, this month's episode, this two months episode. Our skeptics have been bad. <laughs> um, 
rewatched The Princess Bride, which is a movie I've already seen several times because I too love it, but check it out. I did something unusual this time. Because Heidi's been a listener for a long time, because I'm very grateful for her donation, because I do love this movie, I read the book by Carrie Elwes about the making of this movie also last week. Oh damn. So so I got factoids for y'all. But first I wanted to shout out Heidi Butler, thanks for sponsoring this episode. Also wanted to shout out Ananda Zoo and Ben Hannawell. Uh, new sponsors this month. Don't have any messages from them yet, but if they put one in for next episode, I'll read that too. Or if they put one after that, I'll read the episode after that. You know, our schedule's breezy. It's fun. <laughs> that was a lot. I had a sudden surge of energy. Does the caffeine hit? Now it's gone. Sam say something now. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I would say something, but I had a decaf coffee today. So, oh, hell, sorry. No, um, so, yeah, I, I've also seen this movie. I saw it once, and you can... You can tell me if this is too much information to talk about, like what we've done in the past, but um, I definitely remember watching this in high school because our uh, our our high school. Yeah, I know. I'm a sucker. But our, uh, our senior English teacher, at some point during the, like, the second half of the year, just was like, I don't want to teach anymore, so I'm just going to have you guys watch a bunch of movies. <laughs> and, um, I remember... It was a good year. Yeah. Uh, and I don't remember all of them, but I remember that two of them were Alien and The Princess Bride. And I do also remember not actually paying attention to either of them because I was too busy playing chess with other people in the back of the class. And losing because yeah. I'm bad at chess. Without oversharing too much, our high school doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> can you guess why? <laughs> and the news had come down the year before you graduated, so it was definitely a very, uh, Fall of Rome teachers didn't care anymore, kinda. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. I wouldn't trade it for anything, honestly. No, it was terrible for working life better than anything. <laughs> it was fine. It wasn't too bad. But yeah, that was so this was this is one of the ones that I think the class had to vote on which movies they wanted to watch and this was like one of the overwhelming favorites. And I was like, Princess Bride, that sounds like a stupid movie. I didn't watch it. Is this a kissing book? <laughs> Sam said. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, then I, like, I've heard a lot of great things about it. And then I finally actually watched it. Uh, this week and yeah no it's it's a really good movie I'm into it yeah. I'm glad you liked it oh yeah uh, I mean look I'll complain about a few things but the the majority of the movie is great and I will freely admit I, um, I 100% was uh, into this movie specifically just to watch Andre the Giant. Because <laughs> he's like one of the, one of the coolest people ever. Uh, so I... Yeah, the book so. had stories about him too. I collected them. I wrote them down. Ah, oh, nice. I've, I've, cause I've heard stories about Andre and just his, uh, like not just his legendary drinking stories, but also stories like the fact that he would never let anyone pay for dinner. supposedly a time where he was having dinner with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Arnold tried to sneak off and pay the bill and Andre found out so he walked over picked up on picked up Arnold like he was a baby and just walked him back to the table <laughs> which is like I just like the idea of picturing someone picking up Arnold Schwarzenegger from like, we're talking like 80s Arnold Schwarzenegger and just like picking him up like he was a baby and just like putting him down on the table saying, no, I pay for this. So. Well, apparently... This is just one all, all peppers in the drought. Apparently, he discovered at some point he could lift up those sort of tiny English cars mm -hmm. that uh, they drive over there because their roads are small and they're not killing the world as fast as we are. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so... As a prank, 
against his friends sometimes. He would move their cars when they parked, like <laughs> they couldn't drive out of. <laughs> That's just the sort of thing you can do if you're Andre the Giant. <laughs> Holy shit, that's great. So this movie, Princess Bride, came out in 1987. Uh, it was written by William Goldman, who also wrote the book. So this is a pretty faithful adaptation. He wrote the book, and they're like, hey, you want to make a screenplay of this? And he's like, yes, and they did it. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Directed by Rob Reiner, who sounds like a really solid guy. Mm-hmm. According to IMDb, it's 8.1 stars. That's pretty good. Whereas, according to Rotten Tomatoes, 97% on the tomato meter, Jeez. 94% audience appreciation score, and guess what it gets on Amazon? go out of limb here. I'm gonna guess five stars. Well, yes and no. The, uh, the, the 20th anniversary edition, which the first one I saw, has 4.5 stars on Amazon.com. But yeah, the, uh, the old one and the DVD format one are both five stars, which is the first time I've seen that. Yeah. So Amazon loved this movie. Wow. I mean, usually we're used to seeing, like, four, four and a half stars on Amazon, which is, like, trash, basically. <laughs> So, seeing a movie that actually has five stars is pretty impressive. It's apparently the first good movie. Uh, although, The Goonies <laughs> plus Princess... What? Sorry, this is like, the first good movie, just end of sentence. <laughs> it's like, no, that's just it. First movie Amazon likes, although The Goonies and Princess Bride Fairy Tale DVD Collection Family Fun Two Movie Bundle Set. Jesus Christ! Only has four and a half stars. What a fucking name! And Princess Bride plus Neverending Story One and Two Two DVD Fantasy Bundle. Actually, it also has five stars, so never mind, this is a very popular movie. <laughs> it brings up other movies. I'm not going to say The Goonies is a bad movie, but I didn't watch the, it when I was a kid. 
so I don't have the nostalgia for it. But the box set of the Princess Bride and Spaceballs and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure has four and a half stars and is totally strange to me. Sweet Christ, what a combo. I want that combo of movies. I mean, I, I am buying it. That's a weird <laughs> No, I definitely want that combo of movies now. <laughs> Holy crap, that's incredible. It doesn't understand. This is right. Directed by Rob Reiner, seems like he's a sweet guy. Um, I like his voice. Uh, I forget what else he's done, but I wrote that down also. And I'm gonna cut this part out. Didn't he do, um, Spinal Tap? He did Spinal Tap, he, but he was an actor for a while before he was a director. He was the son in All in the Family, which I never actually watched. Oh, shit, with the, the Archie Bunker show? Yeah. Huh. He was the son, the mustache guy, I guess? He, uh... The Meathead. He played Max Belfort... Meathead, that's the one. Yeah. Michael Meathead Stivic. Huh. Did he not played, uh, that. Max Belfort in Wolf of Wall Street. Okay, haven't seen that. He also played Marty DeBurgey in... This is Final Tap. So, yeah, he was also seen his face. So he was the direct, he was like the in, the in movie, in universe director of the documentary. And he also directed the actual movie. I guess. Right? Or did he not direct it? I don't remember. Maybe he produced it. Let me oh, see. Oh, okay. Actor, writer, producer. Oh, he did all kinds of things. So he's he's the director of Princess Bride. He's only directed a couple of things. He's produced and acted in many more. Okay. He has directed. Here we go. Here we go. This is Spinal Tap, The Sure Thing, The Sure Thing, I think that was a road trip movie, I actually saw that one. Okay. Uh, Stand By Me, holy shit. Okay. Wow. When Harry Met Sally, A Few Good Men, Ghost of Mississippi, that's the one that oh, can't say. Yeah. 
story of us, Alex and Emma, the bucket list, being Charlie, shock and awe, LBG, fewer famous ones lately, mm-hmm. but Stand By Me is very well respected. I've heard of When Harry Met Sally, I've heard of a few good men. Misery? Holy shit. Hmm. So he was making nothing but bangers for a while there. He also directed North from 1994, which I've heard is a travesty of a movie, but I have never seen it. North? What is North? I don't remember. Elijah Wood's in it. Yeah. I remember wanting to see that when it came out, but I didn't, and then I heard it was awful. Jason Alexander and Bruce Willis are in it. <laughs> Holy penis. Then it can't possibly be bad. Wait, is Bruce Willis in it? I guess not. Jason Alexander and Julia Louis-Dreyfus, so it has half the Seinfeld cast as Elijah Wood's parents, and the, the plot is sick with neglect, he receives from his mom and dad, a young boy leaves home and travels the world in search of new parents. I mean, I gotta see this now, but yeah, that sounds terrible. Anyway, Rob Ryder mostly does good things. Um, It is starring Carrie Elwes. He's been in a bunch of things. I know him mostly as Better Robin Hood. (laughs) technically a parody of Prince of Thieves, but let's face it, it was a better movie. Yeah. (laughs) Um, He's been also, what, he was in Saw. Mm -hmm. Never seen it, never going to. That's scary to me. I know he was the stepdad in, like, not Mrs. Doubtfire. What's the liar, liar? Who's the stepdad for Carrie's kids and liar liar? Uh, I feel like I should have seen him in more things, but that's all I know off the top of my head. Yeah, the only things I knew off the top of my head were um, Robin Hood and the guy from the Saw movie. So I, he's probably, oh no, I'm sorry. There's one other thing that I know him from. It's not an act, well, it's not an on-screen role, but he played the bard in the Xbox version of the Bard's Tale video game, which is an action RPG that also has Tony J play the narrator. It's a very silly game. No, I I think I've I've 
played that one actually. Yeah. It's actually. I also love Tony J. Yeah. Speaking of Tony J, who was on X Files. Mm-hmm. Is that the right Tony J? Um. The card magician? No, no, the it's the, he's a British, um, British voice actor mostly. Oh Different. right, he was in. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I think it was, I was Tony thinking Ricky J. I yeah. Ricky J. Yes. Okay. Well, never mind. There's no connection between Ricky J. Or Tony, never, bleh, bleh, whatever. Um, <laughs> he's been in some things. Yes. Uh, but I most remember from Brawling Men in Tights, which you guys should see if you haven't yet. He's pretty contemporary with this, and he's great. Uh, Mandy Patinkin. Also is in this as an ego Montoya. I don't know why all these guys are listed before Robin White. She's one of the names. Okay, but Manny Patinkin played Nigo Montoya. He's also been in Homeland for a while. It's a fairly popular TV show I haven't myself seen. And Dick Tracy. I personally haven't seen him much else, but he's apparently pretty close to like an EGOT. He's a big stage performer and singer also. That's not my genre, so I don't know much about him. But he's been in all those things. The, the, the show that I... The thing that I associate him most with is a show called Dead Like Me which was, I think, on HBO or Showtime back in the early to mid-2000s. It's a really it's good show. characters like the Grim Reaper or something, right? Yeah, it's a group of, like, Grim Reapers who have to take people's souls before they die. And he's, like, the... He's, like, the manager of these... This group of four or five uh, Reapers. It's a really good show. I highly recommend it. Don't watch the movie, though. It's terrible. But the rest of the show is really good. I think I saw the pilot of that one. It's a good show. I liked it. Doesn't you get killed by like, a toilet seat or something? Yeah, there's like a toilet seat from a space shuttle or something just snaps off and flies into orbit and uh, hits her in the head and kills her. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, Robin Wright, who should be built second, I think, plays Princess Buttercup in this. I know her as Jenny from Forrest Gump, mostly. 
but also Claire Underwood from House of Cards, and she's the she's one of the she's the general I don't know the last name of, but she's a general in Wonder Woman. At the okay. age of like I think she's like sixty now, and she's become very intimidating, and I love her. <laughs> And some other things are probably pretty famous, but I mostly know her from House of Cards and Forrest Gump and this. Yeah, I I have not seen House of Cards and I haven't seen Forrest Gump in 20 years, so. <laughs> and I don't really yeah. know her from anything else, weirdly enough. I think we're not supposed to like House of Cards anymore because of Kevin Spacey. Yeah. The first season was pretty good, I think. Sorry. Like, I dislike that show. <laughs> it's like... God, it's like West Wing for cynics, which I am. <laughs> so it's... <laughs> It's got that. Uh, anyway, she's great in it. We got Chris Sarandon as Prince Humperdinck. Everyone's movie's so damn charming. Like, the bad guys are also <laughs> wonderful after all. I know, right? Okay. Uh, Chris Sarandon, I'm a, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I had never seen him before. Like, I, he seemed like one of those people that he seemed really familiar, but I don't, I looked through his filmography and I hadn't seen anything he was in. Well, I know he was also in Fright Night and Child's Play, and I've seen both of those. Yeah, I haven't seen either of those. I've been, I've meant to have seen at least the first Child's Play. It was, I, actually, I don't know if it's good. It's a classic. It doesn't need to be good. Yeah. It's, uh... No, but he's got one of those sort of classic actor faces that he could have been in five things I'd seen. I probably wouldn't recognize him. I, I had to look him up to remember that he was the guy. He's also done voice acting work. He was Jack Skellington. Oh. Okay, I missed that somehow. In Nightmare Before Christmas. Hmm, okay. Okay. Okay, I missed that somehow in his filmography. Alright, he does so good voices, so he'd be hard to recognize, I think. So I've definitely seen him in one thing. Because I have seen that. 
Now, the one we're all actually waiting for, Andre the Giant, of course, as Fezzik. I don't know what else he's been in. Uh, you're the wrestling guy, so I'm gonna defer to you on this. All I know is he was like seven feet tall or so, weighed 600 pounds. It, the, it, it was. And everybody liked him. His weight fluctuated over the years, so he was anywhere from 400 to 500 or something pounds, something like that. But yeah, no, he was he was um, he was like probably the most famous wrestler of the 70s or like the most recognizable and the most well-traveled is he went everywhere because he was a big special attraction like he went all over the world and uh, did all sorts of crazy stuff and um, then you know he what was crazy to me was that I think right around the time when they were filming this movie was around the same time when he was supposed to face uh, Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 3, which was like the biggest show, like the biggest wrestling show to that date. And, uh, yeah, I think this was right before that because it really hurt his back. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, I read that he had to get, like, major back surgery, like, right before this, the filming of this movie. So, like, a lot of the scenes, and I hate to take the piss out of these. Uh, out of these scenes but like a bunch of the scenes where he's like having to fight people or carry people they're either using stunt doubles or they like have some weird rigging to where he's not actually having to carry them because his back was so messed up by that point yeah, it seems like it was a little sad to have this giant guy. It's like, by the way, I can't carry my own backpack or anything over five pounds because my yeah. spine is crap. Yeah. he's been... He was an average of like 300 wrestling events a year. He's so popular, so he's just getting slammed all over the place for like 20 years of his life. Yeah, and then, you know, he, he also had gigantism, so that was like destroying his bones and everything. So, he, he basically, by the time this movie came out, around like the mid-80s, like he could barely move at all, let alone, like, 
run around or, or do much of anything, but, uh, no, he was like a consummate professional, and, you know, he, um, he, he did an amazing show at, at WrestleMania 3, he, you know, Hogan beat him, he body slammed the giant, uh, it was, a. Uh, he was like, he was a really just amazing person, so, uh, that's... Yeah, they had a movie about him in, in 2018, um, it was called Andre the Giant. Oh yeah, I heard about that, but I never saw that one. Hmm, I'll have to watch that one. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I haven't seen either, but, um, it's on my to-check-out list, just cause, just cause I like him. Yeah. That's, that's the one of it. Yeah, it doesn't look like he's yeah. been in, he hasn't been in, like, any other movie. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, he was apparently in Conan the Destroyer, uh, as an uncredited character named Dagoth, or Dagoth. That's the sequel, right? That was the second one? I think so. I wasn't a huge fan of that one, but I'll check it out again if I know he's in it. And Just he was in for like, his silhouette. Yeah, and he was in like a couple other some like episodes of TV shows, but nothing. He played Bigfoot, right? In something. Uh, I don't know. I'm looking through it right now. His his Bigfoot and the Six Million Dollar Man. Okay. Yeah, that's where it is. So, yeah, but not a whole lot else of acting because he was too busy um, doing the wrestling thing. Yeah, good money there. Oh, yeah. No worries on that one. Also starring Wallace Shawn. <laughs> I love Walls, Sean. I've only seen him in this and Star Trek Deep Space Nine, but I know he's been in a lot of things. Yeah. He's, he's uh, one of those character actors who's like, you know the voice once you, you, once you hear it, you know it, Tim. Because uh, the only other thing that I remember actually seeing him in was one episode of Adventure Time. Oh, sorry, he was also in My Dinner with Andre. I keep forgetting that. Oh, he was yeah. At the time. Of course. So I've seen him in three things, but I've heard him in, like, most Pixar movies, I think. He plays someone. 
Yeah, he's the T-Rex in Toy Story. Oh, yeah. He's the narrator in OKKO, Let's Be Heroes. I don't know what that is. Neither do I. He's in The Simpsons. He's in Kingdom Hearts. He's in Lego, The Incredibles. He's in The Incredibles. He's been on a lot of TV stuff, actually. He's all over the place. Never mind. Yeah. But I know him as that one Fringy guy from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. The guy from Adair with Andre. And Vizzini. The, uh... The... Incomparably brilliant. <laughs> uh, who am I missing? Who am I missing? Christopher Guest. Yeah. Plays I... the Six-Fingered Man. I know him from This Is Spinal Tap. And that's it. <laughs> but I know he's been a lot of other things. I mean, he did the he did most of the other like mockumentary series of movies with uh, Michael McKean and Harry Shearer. Like he was in. Oh, yeah, he was also in Mighty Wind, Best in Show. Yeah, all those ones. I'm, I'm well, he's one of the Saturday Night Live stars for a while, right? I think so, yeah. Oh, that's a hell of a name he's actually got here. I just looked at his his name. His name is apparently Christopher Hayden Guest, Fifth Baron Hayden Guest. Sweet, yeah. I'm a little jealous. I mean, I think there's certain countries you can just own some land and you're a baron or a lord. Yeah, probably. Like, I think I'm technically a laird in Scotland because it costs <laughs> $250 and you got like a half acre of forest preserve for ducks or something. <laughs> so you can call me a laird bin if you need to. Okay. Which you do. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Not lord for some reason. L-A-I-R-D. It's Scottish forlore. But it's <laughs> Fred Savage as the grandson. He was he was kid in bed. Um, he's from the Wonder Years. That's the big one. Wasn't he also in the Wizard? 
think that's one of those films that we probably should watch for this for the podcast at some point, even though I know it's bad. He was in The Wizard. Okay, he was in Little Monsters. Those are the only ones I recognize, recognize. But The Wonder Years was that show. I don't know anyone who actually, like, knows what it was about or followed it, but I know a lot of people who, like, their parents watched it or had them watch it because it was family family. Uh, and he was the son slash narrator of that show. So the main character, I guess it's just sort of like a family drama along the lines of like Malcolm Middle or Seventh Heaven or something. Those are very different shows, I don't know what the phone is. <laughs> I know I probably saw a couple episodes of it when it was around, but I, I don't know, I'm, I'm not super familiar with it. Yeah, that's all I know from. But he was a his child star. He had acting age nine, and was apparently pretty famous and a draw at the time. And then Columbo, Grandpa Columbo, <laughs> uh, Peter Falk. I know him as Columbo. Sure, who's other things? Uh, Trying to bring up his his page, and it's not working. <laughs> I think I think Columbo covers most of it. Yeah, Peter Fall. First and foremost, he was Columbo from 1971 to 2003. Okay, so that's why... Jesus Christ. That's why that's the association. That show didn't run that long, did it? I I don't know. I don't think it did. Come on. Were Were there like movies or something replayed Columbo I, maybe? I guess so cause it's there's like, gotta be there's no way that TV show lasted for 30 years cause it has episodes listed for like he played one in 1997 one in 1998 one in 2001-2003 so I guess he was just that's that's, yeah, I guess those those are slice of show and more. Yeah. Those are going He was also Sam Diamond and Murr by death. We'll see who's Columbo. <laughs> I think that's all I've seen him in, actually. Jorge Romano. The player. Yeah, mostly Columbo. 
Okay. He's been in many, many things. I'm not saying he mostly did combo. I'm saying my experience with him is Columbo, the Princess Bread. <laughs> Missing someone. Who else was in this movie? Uh, Billy Crystal and Carol Kane. Yeah, they were in one scene. That was fun. Yeah. <laughs> it was a very good scene. Yeah. They were all in one. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. Let's see. There was, um, the, the, the jailer, Mel Smith. Um, the clergy. Oh, yeah, with the horrible, like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Peter Cook was the impressive clergyman. Yes. Uh, Mel Smith. He's a British comedian. Both of those guys are, are somewhat famous British comedians. I don't know yeah. that well myself. Yeah, I hadn't heard of them either, but yeah, I didn't realize they were both like incredibly influential British comedians of like the 70s and 80s, so. Yeah, yeah I mean, they both have have other acting credits, like, uh, let's see, Peter Cook was also in like Supergirl and Yellowbeard Bedazzled, uh, Great Balls of Fire, Getting It Right, all these things that I haven't seen. Hmm. His, his character names are things like Sir Mortimer Chris, Nigel, and Lord Lamborn. So I get the feeling he was the British guy in a lot of <laughs> these. But apparently, a big deal just in circles. I I don't myself know. Mel Smith, likewise, was in National Lampoon's European Vacation, uh, Brain Donors, Miners, uh, but nothing I've seen. Yeah, so the guys all had impressive careers before this. I just don't know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Carol Kane, of course. Uh, Cranny from Adam's Family. <laughs> Other things I haven't seen, but also has a, a long career. Uh, she's a pair. Oh, she's an unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Oh, no way. Oh, I like that show. She's in like 51 episodes. She's a big part of that show. I should go back and double check. I've heard good things about that show. I haven't seen it yet. She's also in Gotham, which I haven't seen. I feel like it'll hurt me, but <laughs> I'll check that one out. Uh, 
And of course, Billy Crystal. God, uh, uh, City Slickers when Harry Met Sally. Analyze this. Analyze that. Monsters Inc. I don't remember what else. Monsters Inc. Was he? Was he the little? Yeah, he was Mike Wazowski. Little Shrek eye looking guy. Yeah. Did the Oscars for like 12 years. Yeah, I still remember he did a really funny parody of... He did the year Titanic was on the Oscars. I still remember his sketch from that. Because <laughs> uh, he was having Leonardo DiCaprio draw him nude. It was pretty funny. Oh, God. <laughs> um, <laughs> No, it was great. I understand. <laughs> no, I can imagine that, but it's like he was like fifty when that happened, so Yeah. No, he he yeah. he would do this thing where he would take clips from the the top running movies and cut back and forth to like what was off screen what characters were looking at. I just remember in Titanic, A, there's the part where they're like spitting off of the edge of the boat because they're so high up with the water. Um, but he inserts himself as a lower deck guy who's trying to, to lean out his balcony have a good time, just keeps getting spit on. <laughs> and then it's the guy that he's trying, it was pretty funny. Oh, like uh, I, I, I like Billy Crystal's comedy. I haven't caught up with his, like, persona or anything. If he's an evil guy, sorry. I don't know these things. He might be, but I, I liked him in when Harry met Sally and sees slickers and various sketches from Saturday Night Live and the Oscars. Yeah. And I don't remember how I canalized this. <laughs> but he was in it. Yeah, I, I feel like that's everyone. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much everybody. There's you know, there's some incidental minor characters, but uh, those those are the main. That's the main cast. That's a pretty big main cast, quite honestly. It's a good ensemble. There's a king and a queen. There's a. No, 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 the one more, the, 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 the guy with the red hair, the, the guard. Uh, I love the oh, guard. Oh, right. I don't know. And he was also, I think, in Deadwood, wasn't he? I have no idea. I, 
I just remember he was called the Chief Enforcer or something. That was his... Oh, I'm mistaken. That wasn't the guy from Deadwood. His name is Malcolm Story. The character's name was Yellen. And he was also in Last of the Mohicans. And the man who knew too much. Alright, who was I thinking? I was thinking of the guy who played Merrick, the newspaper guy in Deadwood. Who's not Michael's story. That was, in fact, Jeffrey Jones. Oh, okay. Very different people. You look kind of similar, though. Eh, a little bit, yeah. Maybe not much. Okay, fair enough. I just can't tell people with red hair part. That's <laughs> what I've just realized about myself. Okay, so. Princess Bride. Princess Bride. Um... I love this movie. I don't know why exactly. Uh, but it's just, it's the most charming thing. I, I kind of, I keep... It, it's like familiar and comfortable and it's optimistic and I don't know why I like it so much. It's definitely got a bill part. It's all about like torture and suicide. It still seems <laughs> uplifting. <laughs> it's weird. Uh, I don't know where to go from here. You want to just get into it? Sure. Like pause? Yeah. Okay, okay, so. Uh, Princess Pride did not do too well in theaters, but killed on VHS when it came out, and has since become very popular, but it only made about twice its production budget when it first came out. Uh, and it seems like one of the big reasons is they didn't know how to market it because it's not quite a comedy. It feels very Mel Brooksy sometimes, but not most of the time. Uh, it's not quite a kid's movie. It has a kid as a framing device, but it's not really a kid's movie, but it's also not super adult themed it's tongue in cheek but it's kind of swashbuckle it was kind of a sad of swashbuckle I don't know I, and they didn't know either so like apparently the first movie poster came out for it featured the grandpa and the kid oh god <laughs> and like <laughs> No one went to see it, because why would you? But word of mouth spread, and it got really popular on VHS. And 
Stillas. Uh, it starts with a video game. Sam, do you recognize this game? You're the professional gamer. I'm pretty sure that was a, like, baseball on Atari? It sounded like an Atari game. Which, considering it's 1987, the kid should have had an NES by now. But, <laughs> yeah, no, that was definitely like an Atari, maybe... 7800? I think that was baseball. But, yeah. I mean, it's definitely a baseball game. I don't know if it was Major League Baseball or Baseball Smashers 2 or whatever <laughs> the, the different. I'll, I'll be honest, Atari was before my time. So, I don't know that much about it. So you don't get that retro with your retro gaming? No. No. Unfortunately. Also, uh, I can't, like, why the fuck are people playing Atari games nowadays? Like, they're, they're bad. Don't play Atari games <laughs> anymore, guys. I mean, that's kind of just retro games in general, isn't it? Like, we got better stuff now. Why are we doing this? I mean, I would argue that there are plenty of NES and SNES games that are better than most games that are released nowadays. But that's me. Fair. I mean, like, I, I would rather play Chrono Trigger than Fortnite. So, yeah. Yeah. My, uh, my biggest tease lately, have you played Idol Champions? No. Okay. Well, never mind. I won't try and impress you with the lazy video games I'm playing. But I, I can take a wild guess as to what it is, though. Like, I've played, like, the idle games. I've played different kinds of idle games before, so... If it's the same kind of thing... It is. Yeah. It's a Dungeons & Dragons-themed... Uh, build your guys up and have them kill a bunch of monsters while you're half paying attention. Okay. Into it. Anyway, uh, uh, it starts with a video game. It's a baseball video game. This kid's playing it because he's homesick. Um, and his parents let him do that, which great. Like, I would, I would be homesick all the time. <laughs> my parents were a little strict. Like, when they were home in the state of Palmyra, I was always allowed to have fun on homesick days. It was like, rest and get better so you can go back to working. 
It's like, I'm fine. <laughs> this kid's got video games in his room. Yeah. Uh, his grandpa comes over with a book. And it's like, uh... It, it sort of sets up this theme that doesn't progress throughout the whole movie, but seems like it's gonna be a major focus, which is, like, passing on of stories, now that's important. Father, son, etc., etc. Um, it comes back a very tiny bit with Manny Potemkin's character, but not much. But he's saying, like, you know, hey, when, uh, when your dad was sick as a kid, I would read him this, and when, when I was sick, my father would read me this, so it's like a real old book. The, the conceit of the, the book it's based on is that, and this seems really clever, I haven't read it, but I think I'm going to. I read the actor's book about making a movie about the book and didn't read the original book, because that's who I am. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> it, it, it had been a... The author of the book is made up, and what what William Goldman did is he invented this author of this apparently old, really long fairy tale. And then what William Goldman is doing is cutting out all the boring parts and like cutting it down to book people actually read because in William Goldman's backstory uh, in his author's introductory note he's saying that you know his dad always used to read him this and he tried to read his son his son thought was really boring and what he realized his dad had been doing is cutting out all these vast swaths of it Sort of doing the good parts. So, to try to preserve this work and have people in the future be able to read it, he prepared this sort of scholarly cutting out all of the like, uh, you know, there's a vast genealogical history and explanation of the economies of like Florin versus Gilder, the companies, or not the companies, the countries, um, and uh, genealogy charts and like how Vesic got there and how Vizzini got there, all the stuff that he, he cut out of the story because you don't need to know that and just sort of the interesting parts. The original work doesn't exist. This was all him, but sort of cuts out every once in a while like the grandpa does in the, the movie to sort of take a 
backseat for the author be like, okay, so this is uh, what the work says at this point, we're skipping over this, or I'm a scholar, this is original ancient work, whatever. And it sounds really clever, and I want to read it, but I haven't yet. Um, but so that's apparently part of where this framing device came from, was from the book itself, uh, and it sounds pretty clever. Yeah. And I'm sorry it annoys you, but I liked it a lot. <laughs> didn't actually annoy me. I actually loved that part. Uh, I was just being facetious that entire time. So. No, I, I very much enjoyed Peter Falk's um, portrayal of, grand, of the grandfather during this movie. It was a uh, it was it was a wonderful framing device, and you no know, Peter Falk's a treasure. So, yeah. <laughs> All right, that's a bit of a turn. <laughs> <laughs> I I thought you I thought you might have picked up on when I when I completely botched the pronunciation of the movie that it's like I was being a dumbass but nah, I'm, I'm it's what happened. I just didn't know what it is oh okay no I was no I was I was entirely kidding about that so no the the framing device was wonderful and it was it was nice uh, just to, it was it was kind of nice when they sort of cut back and forth sometimes just just to sort of see the progression of how the how Fred Savage was uh, experiencing the book as it went on. But anyway, we we can move on from there. Yeah. Well, and it, it also. It, there's this, whenever you have multiple threads in a story, if you don't check in with one for long enough, you forget it exists. Yeah. I feel like they timed it out almost perfectly, so you didn't ever quite forget, you know? Definitely. So he starts reading this book to the kid, because he's sick, he's going to entertain him, and, you know, the treasure time with your grandparents kids mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> where, where it's it's a farm scene there's only a few lines and mostly looks but there's this unexplained farm that for some reason this girl who's a peasant owns on this land <laughs> and this guy's her slave? I don't know how it works. But I yeah. He works for her 
because she's the landowner or because they both work for the landowner and she's higher up or I don't know how it goes but they fall in love and there's like three lines and mostly it's done with looks and it's actually fairly well done yeah the kid interrupts she's like I don't want to hear about a kissing book if it's all romantic and whatever so they immediately cut to the guy leaves to find his fortune because he wants to get married. Uh, gets attacked by pirates and dies. Yep. And this is like three minutes into the movie. <laughs> yeah. And then it cuts to five years later. And it's like, okay then. Yeah, and he... <laughs> A random voiceover from the kid, like, Kill by Pirates is good. I don't know why. I just like that he was just like, Man, there's no sports in this book. It's like, Yeah, then there's piracy and this guy gets murdered. He's like, Okay, I'm into this. Like, alright, as long as it's not just farm people falling in love with each other, which in fairness, I would also think was awkward to be read to by my grandfather <laughs> about. Yeah. So you were saying it goes five years later? Oh, it goes five years later and uh, the, the, the farm girl... Uh, she says, like, after she finds out that uh, her, the love of her life died, she said, I will never love again. And it cuts to five years later, and it's like, oh, she's gonna get married to the prince of this country. And, uh... Yeah, she, she getting married just as... The most magnificent dude in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Prince Humperdinck. <laughs> it's the perfect name for the character. I love him. He does the somehow the um, I don't know what you call the a- accent the. The snobby sort of trail off British. Mm-hmm. Yes, but it's that thing. Yeah. Whatever you call that, but he does it really consistently in every line. It's fantastic. <laughs> Like the inflection never changes. Uh, so she's getting married to this magnificent douche. Her <laughs> well, only joy is he's, he's riding not, her horse around. But he's not a her. douche. I mean, he's just, you know, he's, he's a prince. He has to run a country because his father is old and he might die anytime soon. 
So he's trying to, you know, he's, he's trying to, he's trying to keep his country under control. That sort of thing. He might seem like he's a bit of an upper crust twit, but, you know, he's, his intentions are good. True. He's not, he's not a bad guy. He's not doing any bad things. Wink. Yeah. There's, there's no suspect him of doing anything. Of course not. Objectively wrong. No. Uh. Immediately. Don't immediately cut, sorry. Uh, so she jumps on her horse and goes to meet these. Well, she doesn't go to meet on purpose. She's just riding around. And get stopped by these uh, three guys arranged by height. <laughs> um, which is very amusing. I don't know how tall Sean is, but I suspect shorter than average. Probably. <laughs> and then, of course, Andre's like seven feet tall at the other end. Then he goes just normal guy who looks ridiculous in this company. <laughs> yeah. It is weird that Inigo Montoya is the strange looking one in this group of strange, of like, I mean, compared to the other two, he's like, he's, he's different looking. Because, like, Andre the Giant and Wallace Shawn are very strange-looking people. And well, they look like, like, fairy tale guys. Yeah. And then... And then you go on toys in the middle looking like a guy. Yeah. <laughs> just kind of just... He's the odd man out, is what I was trying to say. And I failed miserably yeah. to explain it that way. Yeah, like he looks he looks appropriate with uh, the, the the man in black and the princess. Yeah, because they're all just like people as people, <laughs> and then he looks very strange in this company where it's like, yeah, I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> It's like being the the insert real actor into cartoon world sort of thing. Yeah. He looks like Eddie Valiant. <laughs> okay, I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Took me a second. Because I was thinking of uh, wrestlers named... Johnny Valiant, and it's like, what does that have to do with anything? Oh yeah, Roger Rabbit. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should have one if we haven't yet. We should. <laughs> Just grab her, because Andre the Giant is <laughs> Baseball mid-sized hand just sort of goes up and grabs her, and that's the 
whole kidnapping attempt because, of course, it works. <laughs> yeah. Um, Andre the Giant, apparently, when... So, Robin Wright has the story about that she would get really cold out when they were doing those scenes on the, the mountaintops in the hill country. Um, and he devised this brilliant plan for keeping her warm by just holding her head <laughs> because his hand was bigger than like a hat for her <laughs> and his hand was just warm so whenever she started shivering he just like <laughs> <laughs> drank 137 beers. Yep. Uh, passed out in the hotel lobby and they couldn't move him so they put velvet rope around him and just sort of <laughs> went about their day. <laughs> I've heard that one before. <laughs> yeah. That was during shooting of this hotel he was staying at was the hotel the whole cast was staying at. But they reached like half the rooms in the hotel, so they weren't gonna be kicked them out or anything. They're just like, uh Yeah. Alright. He's next to the couches now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he apparently, he doesn't speak English, or at least not very well, because he's French. <laughs> he apparently spoke a bunch of languages okay. Like, he spent about as much time in Japan as America, apparently. Yeah. because uh, wrestling was big over there. So he spoke, he spoke a... Hard to discern because also like his 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 jaws kind of malformed like his yeah it's, it's regular human sized teeth because that's how gigantism works but his jaw was huge and sort of he had trouble mm-hmm. but so he had to learn his lines phonetically. Which Rob Reiner apparently recorded them all, and would just sort of give him tapes so that he could play them while walking around the set, uh, so he didn't necessarily know what he was saying some of the time, but he knew how it was supposed to sound. Because Rob Reiner would be like, "Okay, these are the sounds you have to make, and this is." the character's line so if he's hard to understand sometimes that's why because he doesn't speak English that's pretty cool I mean he he does speak English but actually I was when I was watching this I was actually impressed because he was he was actually 
more, um, what's the word, um, I can't think of the word, damn it, uh, audible version of legible? Yeah, that. He was more, um, that than he was, at least what I remembered watching, like, when he would, when he would do a wrestling promo, because at that point, it's like, he, he had, like, a very thick French accent, and again, his, his jaw is a bit malformed, so it's like, it was actually really difficult to understand what he was saying then. So it was actually a lot easier to understand what he was saying in the movie, strangely enough, than what I was used to. Yeah, well, I know, I know he could understand English. He, he had said in his interviews that he didn't feel confident enough with his English for the spoken parts. That's why they did phonetically. So maybe I'm misspeaking when I say he, he didn't speak English, but he had trouble speaking English literally. Like, to speak English, not to comprehend it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's just like, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was easier to understand in this in the film than he was normally during like when I had seen him like in other, in any other uh, instance because he was he was a little bit he was more garbled than he was when he was doing stuff for like wrestling or whatever so this was actually kind of a nice surprise. Yeah. Uh, but in poor health at the time, apparently drank that much because he was in a lot of pain and couldn't yeah. medicate for it. Yeah. Died at 47? I think, yeah, 46 or 47. He died in, like, 1993. Like at his father's funeral, which is a bummer. Yeah, but at least his parents didn't have to see him die, so that's not... Yeah. But yeah, it's, uh... It paid a pretty heavy price for being his size. was not a good thing overall, but he... He made most of it. Yeah. Uh, and... Thank you, Andre, for, for your career. Yeah. Um, and for keeping people warm with your giant hands. <laughs> <laughs> and for being so, able to pick up people like Arnold Schwarzenegger like they're babies. Yeah, or anyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Be able to pick up anyone but like mid-sized uh, cattle and. <laughs>
cares? <laughs> I mean, he probably could. You probably could. Apparently, um, dogs were very afraid of him because they weren't quite sure what he was. <laughs> Which is sad, but also adorable. Yeah. Like, so then these guys, they get onto this miniature golf course-ass pirate ship. Uh... <laughs> I don't. How would you even describe this? It's it's not a rowboat. It's not a ship. It's what is this thing? I'm. I I think you've got the right description of it. It's sort of like. It's a combination rowboat sail. I don't know. Yeah, it's like a miniature. It's a. It's got the whole like the mast set up and the the fore and aft and deck. Gunnels, whatever you call them, mm-hmm. of like a, a much larger ship, but it's 15 feet long or something? <laughs> if that. Uh, it's very strange. I want it. It looks cool <laughs> as hell. Um, I don't think they ever made a ship like that in real life. I could be wrong. I don't know. Tiny, weird little sort of squat snub-nosed sailboat thing. And it's great. (laughs) Uh, Look it up. It's amazing. Uh, we get to see the chemistry with these three guys where physics just <laughs> super abuse not physics, sorry, Vizini's just super abusive, which is kind of funny because he's so unintimidating <laughs> compared with the other two. He's <laughs> just screaming at them all the time. Yeah. The other two amuse themselves. The other two are both pretty dumb, which I like. Because <laughs> yeah. they amuse themselves by going back and forth like second grade rhymes. <laughs> uh, and I don't think that, uh, I don't think an ego is knows he's kidding when he says like you have such a gift for rhyme my friend (laughs) but it's like this very very simple like (laughs) I love them I'm very charmed yeah 
Yeah, they have great chemistry. Uh, the, the Zini's very confident they couldn't possibly be followed. Yeah. And he asks Mike, are you sure we're not following? He says, it is ridiculous. There's no possible way, you idiot. Why he would ever follow us? Incidentally, why do you ask? <laughs> I mean, it is like it is indeed inconceivable that someone would follow them. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's just he finishes up like inside though. Why do you ask? Just like, because I'm looking behind us and there's something there. <laughs> yeah. But he wasn't gonna tell him about that thing because he just trusted like, oh okay, we're not being followed. <laughs> Vizini says <laughs> See, I I don't know. I was I was under the impression when he was saying that, that he was actually just kind of trolling Vizzini. Like he was saying, no, there's actually just someone following us. I didn't really feel like telling you because uh, you're an abusive asshole. But that would make sense. I, I, like the, I like the version where they're just they're both so dumb and trusting. Like, well, if he says it's not gonna work, it's not gonna work. <laughs> like, I mean, he's the boss. He, he does explain it away as it's someone night fishing, uh, or whatever it was he said. So. You know, that must have been the explanation. It couldn't possibly be that someone was following them. I mean, it would be hard to follow them. Like, they never do explain, nor should they. It's not that kind of movie. Nah, how he found them at all. Yeah, that was, that was one of those things, like, wait, how? What? Why? But... But you can't ask those kind of questions in a movie like this. No, you definitely can't. Uh, she takes advantage of this to try to escape. Yep. And uh, she swims like 10 feet or so. And then there's this weird sound that comes out of nowhere. And uh, it's apparently uh, giant eels will come in. Screaming eels. Yeah. They're, they're gonna just appear and eat her because uh, I guess anything that is not in a boat in that lake uh, 
uh, will just is, is their prey. It's scary. I'm actually kind of scared of them. Yeah. There's a little bit of actual tension for the first time in the movie, but then... <laughs> and then, uh, the kid... <laughs> then the kid interrupts. Um, and he was, you know... Uh, actually, sorry, the, gra the grandfather, the grandfather, he stops because he's like, the kid looks scared or nervous, and the kid's like, I'm not nervous, I'm, I'm just concerned for her safety. But <laughs> he comes out like, she does not get eaten by the eels at this time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he said, I'm like, don't worry, she doesn't get eaten by the eels. <laughs> or something like that, yeah, it was, uh... And they go back and Fezzik grabs her by the head pulls her out of the water. He just bossed her yeah. heels on the head. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. He's amazing. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's his main strategy for any sort of fight is just bop somebody on the head. No, and then... How would it ever not work? No, it definitely works. Like, there's definitely a point later on where he uppercuts a guy's head off. But, yeah. We got, we got weight classes for a reason. You can't beat him. He's too much. Yeah. They go on to the cliffs of insanity. Which, um, I would like that to be the name of Rock Band if it is not already. That'd be a pretty big, good one. Yeah. Cliffs of Sanity. Yeah, I'm into it. Fessick pulls everyone up. <laughs> it's actually just a big stunt man with dolls because Andre just had back surgery. And apparently they, they, so this is cute, uh, Wallace Shawn was desperately afraid of heights, mm -hmm. and they weren't actually on the cliffs, but they still had to be up on this like 30 foot rig with a fake cliff wall for their set, for the close shots, and yeah, some man or doll or something for the wide shots. Yeah. Walsh was plenty afraid of just that 30 feet of height and was having a lot of trouble doing this trembling trim stuff. Andre sort of kept patting him on the head and promising to take care of him. <laughs> <laughs> and it worked, Wallace says. <laughs> like, 
Like, you know, I just felt like this big giant man would not let me get hurt, so I didn't. Uh, and that's kind of wonderful also, I think. Another story from the from the autobiography, which everyone should read. It's called um, so the name of this book that I that I read that I'm stealing all these stories from, uh, but I'm gonna <laughs> tell fewer than half of so that their stories. You get it <laughs> is as you wish colon inconceivable tales from the making of the princess bride uh, and one of those one of the stories from it when Carrie would go out drinking with Andre sometimes in New York at least police would follow them around. Okay. Just like one or two plainclothes guys. But apparently they decided whenever Andre was going to go drinking, it was safer for everyone involved if someone was there to watch out. <laughs> because <laughs> at one point, there's never an instant where like, he got drunk and attacked him or anything, but at one point he got so drunk he, f he passed out while standing up and landed on someone. Oh, God. <laughs> couldn't get out from under him without help. So now they just have spotters for him whenever he's bothering. <laughs> That sounds about... That sounds about normal. I love this man. <laughs> uh, anyway... Vizini's uh, uh, riding him up on his shoulders sort of yelling straight into Fezzik's face <laughs> the whole time. Telling him to climb faster because surprise, surprise, this mysterious and handsome stranger is following them up the cliffs. And he's gaining on them yes. because, you know, Fezzik has to carry three people on his shoulders. <laughs> It's great. It's yeah. this ridiculous fairy tale thing. He's dressed <laughs> like Zorro. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, they they get to the top of the cliff. They leave an ego to kill Zorro while the other three are gonna run off. Or the other two are gonna run off with the princess. Well, uh, Vizini cuts the rope. To, uh, oh, right, to make right. sure that, yeah, that you know, to to make sure that the mysterious and handsome stranger uh, falls to his death into the cliffs of insanity. But uh, he doesn't. Yeah, he like 
clings onto the onto the cliffs themselves and tries to climb up. So the yeah, then they leave Indigo to to kill off uh, to kill off this stranger. Yeah, and there's sort of this whole conversation yelled back and forth where like he's only what twenty or thirty feet down? Yeah, he's not very far. So they leave an ego because eventually that guy's gonna make it to the top and then ego's gonna kill him. Mm-hmm. Um keeps not he, he gets impatient that he's taking so long to climb up the cliffs which is not the point of a delay tactic at all and <laughs> 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 then she throws a rope down to him so he climb and fights him well he's being a gentleman you know they're they're having a they're having a a pleasant conversation between each other, you know, trying to... They're so gentlemanly. <laughs> like, he hauls him up with the rope and then lets him rest because he doesn't want to kill him yeah. when he's tired. And he even tells him the story about how his father died, you know? It... Just like an info dump, so you get an ego's backstory, which is he's you don't know why he's with these two other guys, but you do know that he's traveling the world becoming a master fencer because he's trying to kill the guy that killed his father, who has six fingers on his left hand. Mm-hmm. Or on one of his hands. Yeah. Might be the right one. I think it was the right hand. I think. But yeah, we don't know who that is yet. Yeah. But hang on to that. It'll come back. Ah. <laughs> uh, Dumped his backstory. Everyone's so polite to everyone. I'm charmed by every character I've seen so far. <laughs> then they have possibly the best sword fight in cinematic history. Dude, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I haven't watched, like, a proper sword fight in, like, years. At least on film. Uh, this was, uh, friggin' amazing. Not just because of the fact that they're, they're both, like, it was both Carrie Owls and Mandy Patinkin to, uh, doing all their own stunts. Uh, like, they yeah, actually was learned fencing. To do this. There was one stunt they got a stuntman for, and it was the high bar gymnastics thing. Yeah. 
Like which? Everything on swords in their hands is actually those two guys. Yeah, it was it was nuts, and just just see, like it was an extended scene. Like it went on for a couple minutes, and just what was really even more charming about it is they're still like talking to each other like describing the different techniques that they use while they're fighting each other and it's like it's it's one of the most impressive scenes I've watched in a while from any movie yeah and it's a, those techniques are all real. I don't know if they're really doing them, but those names are all actual fencers from, like, the 16th century. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, follow up on that, like, the... So the, the guys that they trained with to learn these... I forget their names, I should look this up. Um, but there was the guy who trained uh, Errol Flynn. Oh shit. Excuse me, and was his stunt double for a couple scenes in like uh, Captain Blood? I forget what one of his famous movies. I haven't watched most of those really old ones. Mm-hmm. I should. But it was a guy who's like 60 years old who'd been doing this for so long. And the other guy was the other big Hollywood fencer at the time. And he's every scene you ever see with Darth Vader. Oh, I said Rob is that guy. So those were the two guys that trained these two for like four months, apparently. Um, I have a weird question about that, about the Darth Vader thing. And I don't know if you know, but um, like, what what did they use as Props for the lightsabers, because like I've always wondered, like, did they just use like cardboard tubes, or did they use like plastic? Like, apparently they were like they were like carbon fiber, sort of like fishing poles. Hmm. Like sort of a very lightweight, but mostly rigid thing they would then go in afterwards and sort of paint the laser over. Yeah, I figured they Uh, probably did the the effects afterwards, but I was just curious, like, what did they... I was wondering what they used, because I never actually knew. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's, it's... I think it's like a f- uh, fiber. carbon fiber or something. 
it's one of those sort of telescoping things like a fishing pole or a car antenna. Okay. You can see it at one point in, uh, I don't think it's the first one, but in Return of the Jedi, you can see its shadow at one point. Because they painted over it directly, but they forgot to brush out the shadow that light wouldn't leave on the floor. Oh, okay. So there's one point in the Emperor's throne room where you can see the shadow of the original prop under the thing. And that's probably not in the special editions, it might just be in the first one, but if you're Curious, you can see at the very least it's a very thin, very lightweight thing. Hmm. Okay. Um, it said carbon fiber at some point, but I don't actually know, I don't have a picture in my head of what carbon fiber means. Mm-hmm. So that could be any number of things. Hmm. Okay. Now I know. Anyway, this sword fight, it, it starts kind of normal. And it gets steadily more and more Mel Brooksy. Until <laughs> <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Like, at one point, they do do this acrobatic trick off this horizontal bar that's just there in these ruins of the yeah. castle. <laughs> yeah. And then when he lands, he's clearly landing on like a little trampoline thing because the dirt goes in a perfect square around him. <laughs> but it's amazing and they don't care, so it's fine. <laughs> Anyway, I just, I just love this movie. He, um... Uh, the, the guy dressed like Zoro wins. No, there's... Okay, hold on. There's a twist. Please explain the twist. Wait, hold on. I'm, I'm reading my notes. I can't remember what the twist was. Oh, wait, um... No, I I think I've skipped over this. So, so they're both fighting to what you think is the best of their ability, right? Oh, okay, that twist. And, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, because they're both fighting left-handed. Because Inigo yeah. said he want he was going to kill this guy left-handed because he doesn't deserve to be uh, fought. He doesn't deserve to have Inigo uh, use his right hand, which is his dominant hand, apparently. Because that's too quick. If he does his right hand, it's over too quick. Yeah. So they're both fighting left-handed, and then, you know, they're they're kind of at a standstill, and Inigo says, um, I am 
he sits on the I am not left-handed and he switches hands. And all of a sudden he's fighting right-handed and the stranger's fighting left-handed. Yeah, cause, he, cause he's losing at first. It's like, I admit that you're better than me, but I know something you don't know. Yeah. And Zora's like, what's that? It's like, I'm not actually left-handed. Yeah. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and then they keep fighting for a while, and then Inigo starts to get the advantage. And then the stranger and Zoro, whatever we want to call him, uh, he, he basically does the same thing. It's a double turn. They're both right-handed. Yeah. And they fight again. They fight even more. It's ridiculous. Who'd have thought? I didn't. I didn't see it coming. <laughs> of course not. Eventually, God dressed like Zoro wins. And, and he was like, okay, you win. Please kill me quickly. And he's gonna say, like, no, you're too good a swordsman. No sooner I kill you than what he carried your life smash stained glass window that took years to make but I can't have you fall on me so wraps on the back of the head and runs off <laughs> yeah. and that that's the best and then you know the rest of the movie's good but that's my favorite part it's definitely the high point of the movie yeah this movie structurally is a little weird. It's like it it starts very sort of fairy tale and whimsy, mm-hmm. and then seems to like get darker for a minute before it finishes, which is is I think pretty classic story structure, but feels very different the way this one does it somehow. Yeah. Um, and it turns out they were filmed a couple months apart. Like, they... The... The beginning of the movie was filmed last. Hmm. So they're... They're kind of... This is when they're already more comfortable with each other and sort of getting a humorous feel for it. Whereas, like, the darker parts were at the very beginning. Still being followed, he's like inconceivable. <laughs> tells at this point, Andre has to stay behind. I'm gonna call him Andre. That's fine. That's character. Look, I I only called him Andre during the entire time I was writing down notes. So it's yeah, totally I'm sorry. fine. I, I, I can't. Also, Fezzik sounds too much like Vizini to me, just because they both have Z's so I get mixed up. <laughs> so, Vizini tells 
Andre is staying behind and smash him with a rock. <laughs> or he's like, do it your way. It's like, okay, what's my way? He's like, throw a rock at him. <laughs> My way isn't very sporting. <laughs> I actually laughed out loud at that one. It's like, when he said, My way is not very sportsmanlike, I actually laughed out loud. It was good. Uh, and this is like action. It's like they've left the soundstage and they're in the hills. Which is apparently where everyone's getting all cold all the time. Oh, okay. And, and where Wesley broke his toe. And a whole bunch of other things from interesting. <laughs> because he was playing on Andre's ATV, which Andre had <laughs> because he didn't like cars. <laughs> That was actually a story that I remember from uh, when he was like a child. And he was like, he was like 10 years old and he was like 6'4 or something. And he couldn't fit into any cars to go to school or take like public, take the bus or whatever. So, um,. The author Samuel Beckett, who lived in the yeah. same uh, same village as Andre, uh, drove Andre to school in his pickup truck. Like Andre just sat in the flatbed of the truck, and Samuel Beckett drove him to school. Well, I thought it was a convertible. He's the only one who had a convertible car. I thought it was a truck, but I don't remember. The story could have been, it might have been a convertible, but I'm pretty sure it was a truck. Yeah, same story. Anyway. Samuel Beckett, he, he were waiting for Godot, right? I have no idea, but possibly. Okay. Let's let's say yes for the, for the purposes of this argument. It's not an argument, but... Famous author. Yeah. So, uh... So, Mysterious and Handsome Stranger is following them up, and a rock lands at his feet, and Andre says, you know, I could have killed you if I wanted to, but... We should fight like civilized people. I think he said we should try and kill each other like civilized people. Well, the the man in black said that he said. Oh, okay, right. We we can fight fairly. He's like, you mean try to kill each other with our bare hands like civilized people? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And of course, he he admits uh, the the man in black admits that he's he's at a disadvantage because of Andre's incredible size. 
and uh, but he's, he just he agrees to do it anyway. And it's actually a yeah, it's a much shorter fight, but it's probably because Andre couldn't really do a lot physically. So yeah, well, well he'll be musing. First, he tries to hurt him like you would a human-sized pawn and just goes nowhere. Right, he tries to, like, tackle him over. Yeah. (laughs) Just like... like running into a tree doesn't work. Yeah, exactly. Does it a couple times. Yeah, and then I I don't remember exactly how he gets in that position, but after after a bit of scuffling and and uh, maneuvering around, the man in black manages to hop onto his back, onto Andre's back, and he's sort of like choking him out. But uh, there's. There's a couple points where Andre just, like, rams the man in black into a boulder, like, back first, and I would have thought that would have knocked him out, but he's more resilient than I thought. Yeah, so for some reason it isn't crushed between Andre and... (laughs) Yeah, rocks. Exactly. Uh, And eventually does manage to just sleeper hold him out. Yep. Um, Which I don't buy that, but (laughs) alright. I mean, if you, if you, if you, if you wrap your arm around someone's neck for long enough, they're, they're gonna get they're gonna pass out just you know yeah but that's cause normally you can fit someone's neck in the crook of your arm <laughs> like it's <laughs> like I can't I don't think I can sleep or hold a horse you know <laughs> it's a, maybe, I mean I haven't tried maybe I can Maybe I can. I don't think so. Look, you don't. You won't know until you try, right? All right. Last day of my life. I'm gonna fight a horse. Okay. Good. <laughs> Once I've accomplished everything I need to accomplish. <laughs> Rassle horse. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so he's on his back. Apparently, it's an action on his back because again, back surgery just happened. Mm-hmm. Oh, and also, apparently, Andre's um, iconic over one shoulder leotard dude wear. You know how most of them would just have like a speedo? Yeah. And he would do the over the shoulder one? Uh, is to hide a back brace. 
so it's been bothering him for a while. Yeah, I'd heard about that. He actually wore that in his match with Hulk Hogan. Yeah, like in the ring when he's getting body slammed, dudes in a back brace. It's yep. not good. No. So, so they have like a rig up, there's a ramp behind him Mm-mm. that Terry's just standing on oh. and leaning over his back. Okay. Because he can't. Because he can't support him. Have his actual weight to him. Yeah. Hmm. But it looks pretty good. Like, I didn't know that until I knew it. Mm. Like, it was, uh... Yeah, I, I thought he was legit, like, hanging on, clinging on to Andre's back. So... No, they did some really good effects. Like, also, the... That horse at the end couldn't handle an Andre the Giant on its back. (laughs) So Andre's sitting on a saddle suspended on wires half an inch above the horse. Huh. And I didn't see it. Like, it was just really well done. Alright, I learned another thing about this movie today. Hmm. Yeah. Neat. He knocks Andre out. He tells him to dream of very large women. (laughs) (laughs) There are a few lines in this movie that I feel like they don't fit in. That's one of them. That's a good line. It's a good, no, it's a great line. I'm just saying it doesn't... I feel like it doesn't fit in quite with the rest of the... St- like, the rest of the mood of the film. That makes any sense? I don't know. I mean, it makes sense. I... I, I, I feel like it's right along with the sort of witty banter between him and uh, Inigo and stuff though, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean just like it's it just seems like such a such a bit of an out of nowhere line like dream of large women, like Okay. Just it just seems like, I get it. he's nine feet tall. I get that, but it's still, it's like... Ah, whatever. There, there, <laughs> there are other lines in later on in the movie that, that just kind of jump out at me like, why is this in a PG movie? But, eh, whatever. I do... I do want to interview one of Andre's girlfriends at some point. <laughs> I need to know what that was like, just physical dynamics. <laughs> um, there's a similarly sized wrestler who's still alive. Uh, his na- his uh, name is Paul White, but his, his, his like 
most well-known staging is The Big Show. He actually has a show on Netflix. I'm pretty sure he's married, so... I've heard of Big Show. Yeah. He was actually... Is he married... I mean, is he married to, like, another giant person, or is he married to, like, a, I a have, little... I have no idea, but I'm just saying he's, you know, he's married, so that's something. Um, actually, fun fact, the way, um, he was in, like, the first time he was ever introduced as a wrestler, he was introduced as Andre the Giant's son. Um, not, obviously, he's not actually Andre's son, but... I don't know, I, I like the homage, but I'm very offended by the, no, uh, I mean, it's... The appropriation. Yeah, no, it's... A lot of people were not happy about that. They dropped the story pretty quickly, actually. Was Andre alive at the time? No. Um, yeah, I can't do that. No. You can't just do that. Because he, because um, Big Show debuted in 1995, which was like two years after Andre died. So, it was, yeah, no, it was, it was not a good story. I can, I can see how you would come up with that thinking it was a nice homage in the first place. I can see how that would be a non-level thing, but don't do that. Yeah, no, I think they, they originally, they, sorry, they, um, eventually retconned it to where it was like an homage but initially they were like this is Andre the Giant's son and it's like ooh uh too soon or ever it's like no he's dead and he has an actual family though <laughs> yeah and what's actually weird is a few years later when he moved from WCW to WWF, uh, his actual father died and they filmed an angle where he was at his father's funeral and some other guy um, chained his father's coffin to uh to like another car and he drove the car away and he dragged the coffin behind him and Big Show was like clinging to the coffin and like screaming as he's being dragged behind this car. Wrestling's weird guys. Yeah, that. Whatever it, co whatever it comes up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's. Uh, <laughs> this is the second time we discussed on this podcast. First one being. 
during the crush. The guy who comes back from hell to beat people up. <laughs> Look, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, every every single episode that we've ever done together, I've tried to fit wrestling into it in some form. <laughs> I don't well, know it's why. It's fair. It's, it turns out it's got more fantasy elements than most movies that you get. Oh, yeah. You too, so. No, absolutely. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a zombie undertaker who also can control lightning. And there's his, his brother who can control fire. And these are things that happen in the world of wrestling. Wait, can control fire? Yeah. That was his. That Wait, was, the Undertaker control lightning? Yeah. They have lightning effects. Yeah, they've had. I mean, he. I mean, they did that for like a few years in like the mid to late two thousands. Where Undertaker was just big and couldn't bend his knees very well. No, he can control lightning. How? Okay. Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's effects, stage effects, but still, it's like... Does he use it against dudes, or is it just, like, his intro? He just does it mostly to threaten people, not to actually, like, hit people with lightning and kill them. Which I think is, you know, kind of lazy. But, um... No, it mostly just does it to threaten people. With, uh, or scare them. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> Alright! <laughs> the more you know... Yeah, I d thanks. <laughs> thanks for that. Tune in to my wrestling podcast. Coming soon. Uh, you, you really should do a wrestling <laughs> podcast. Not gonna lie, I've thought about it, but I can't honestly justify spending more money to host another podcast. Ah, oh, fair. Well, once we get to mad revenue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Expand into an empire. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, right, so the princess okay, shows so up. <laughs> yeah, so we got well, we got the staggering battle of wits from Sherlock episode one. <laughs> if anyone's seen that show, it it 
this camp first, it ripped it off, not the other way around. So, uh, uh, but Zini's just hanging out there, he's set up a picnic. Princess is there. Uh, Zoro shows up. And so Vizini doesn't know there's going to be like a, a poison off. He just has a picnic set up <laughs> and, and a knife to, to Buttercup's throat. And then the... Zoro is the guy who comes up with the idea of a poison off. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think maybe Vizini was waiting for um, for Andre to come back victorious. Maybe he was gonna probably not celebrate because he's very verbally abusive to everybody, but. Um, yeah, that's not nearly enough food for Andre, come on. No, of course not. He would probably need several baskets worth of food. Yeah. But... So, yeah, uh, so Zoro shows up, and, uh... uh Vizini instantly threatens to kill the princess uh, if he comes any closer. And of course, uh, uh, Zoro decides to play off of Vizini's incredible intellect by uh, by challenging him to a battle of wits to see who can actually take the princess for themselves. And, uh... And his battle of wits is... <laughs> and this is what was exactly the same as the climax of uh, the pilot episode of Sherlock. Mm-hmm. He poisoned poison one of the drinks and then doesn't tell him which one and he's just got a Vizini is the one who's going to decide who drinks what and that'll be what decides who dies yeah And, uh, so, Wallace Shawn gives a star-making performance where he, where he logics out the every possible reason why it would be, why he would poison his own drink why, why Zoro would poison his own drink 
And then, you know, Zora would say, okay, well then you've made your decision. And then Wallachon says, no, but that is exactly what you think I would think. So then it just, he just goes around and around for several minutes trying to like justify which one is which and after a while Zoro's thinking like you're stalling for time and and uh Vizini says no that's exactly what I want you to think I'm doing and after several minutes Vizini finally says Look over there! He points away, and of course Zoro looks because he knows what's up. And Vizini switches the glasses, which is classic. That's not a bad strategy, honestly. Yeah, I mean, considering he seemed to be flailing at that point as to deciding exactly which one he wanted to use, which the one he thought would be poisoned. And, uh, so Zoro turns back around and they, they finally decide that, uh, Vizini is going to drink his own drink. And they toast and they drink. And then Vizini starts cackling because he he knows he has fooled the he is the master of wits and he has fooled this mysterious and handsome stranger <laughs> by making him drink his own drink, which or making him drink Vizini's drink, which was actually poisoned. He's laughing maniacally, and mid-laugh, he stops and then keels over dead. Exit walls, Sean. Yeah, he was great. <laughs> That's a wrap. Yeah. So, apparently, uh... Well, Sean, he's very sweaty in this whole scene, kind of pale. Mm-hmm. Apparently, he's so sweaty because this guy just had a miserable time shooting this movie, it sounds like, because right after he finishes the cliff climb, when he's deathly afraid of heights, mm-hmm. he has to do this thing, which was his first scene he did, day one. Oh, wow. Most challenging scene. Uh, he had heard, I think from his agent, that they wanted Dane DeVito for this part. So, uh-huh. and he kept messing up his lines in the morning. So he was just convinced he was about to be fired the entire day. Oh, God. 
Surprise, all pale, sweating, and stammering is because he's scared to death that he's fucking the whole thing up. And apparently it's bad weather day, which you can sort of tell, like, it, there's a little bit of uh, incontinuity for sunny versus overcast in the scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, so everyone was kind of annoyed, including like the camera grip and the lighting guy. Mm. Um, and so he's just, he's so sure that if he messes up one more time, they're going to fire him and try to get someone else like Danny DeVito. <laughs> so he's just, Cause he's not Sicilian, he's like New York Jewish and he keeps saying that in the interview. Like, I'm not Sicilian, I'm the least Sicilian guy I know. <laughs> so he's... So that's where the nervous energy comes from, is the poor guy is scared to death the entire scene. <laughs> <laughs> but it works. It works really well. It's yeah. just a little sad because he's a. And really, he's like the smartest guy in set. Like, Wallace Shawn is also a, like, philosophy doctorate teaches at university and left a couple times during shooting because he had to guest lecture in England like an Oxford or something so he's brilliant but he thinks he's a bad actor (laughs) so (laughs) hmm It was great. He's great. He's dead. The the actor isn't dead. The city's dead. (laughs) Like, don't don't scare me and tell me Wallace Shawn died. No, no, no. Wallace Shawn's gonna live forever. But the (laughs) scene, I wouldn't have been upset if he'd stuck around for more of the movie. <laughs> but, oh well. He, he was great. He had nothing but great lines. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it turns out, during all this, the best hunter in the world, Thumperdink, yeah. Uh, has been following them uh, based on nothing, <laughs> which is great because he, he hey, it doesn't show up how he, it doesn't show how he got off the cliff. He just did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it doesn't show how he tracked them across the water. He just did. And he's like, he's looking through the grass and the dust where there's no prints whatsoever. Like, uh, 
giant was fought here, or two expert swordsmen were in this, <laughs> doing all of this stuff. The best part, I think, is when he catches up with this scene in particular. Remember, the Iocane powder is the, the poison they've used, and they said specifically it's odorless and it's tasteless, and that's why it's a dangerous thing to put in drinks. It's all this liquid. Mm-hmm. He smells the cups like. Iocane powder. <laughs> <laughs> so this guy... <laughs> Humperdinck, the best hunter in the world, just is... just supernaturally... Uh, able to turn everything that happened here. And it's kind of amazing. I mean, considering that this film, it it does use some fans, some like fantastical elements. You could, I could kind of, sort of see him being like supernaturally good at hunting and tracking and that sort of stuff. Oh yeah, it's absolutely fine. Just. Uh, I don't think it's a discontinuity. They're like, wait a second, you said Iocane powder didn't have a smell. Like, I think they know that. I think that's the joke. Yeah. Um, well, also, I mean, it's, it's yeah. the kind of movie where they know that. That's what they're yeah. doing. I, mean, I think. Also, I mean,. It all makes sense as to potentially why he knows all this stuff later in the movie, but we'll get to that when we get to it. Well, not what he would know about the powder, though. True. Well, yeah, that's true. But, like, all the other stuff, because I think one of the things we we neglected to mention earlier was that um, the whole reason why they're kidnapping the princess is because uh, they they want to sort of blame it on the neighboring country of I don't remember what it was called yeah, but that's a spoiler. We don't know that yet. No, we do. Because uh, Wallace uh, Vizzini mentions it, like, right at the start. Because they have... Well, he doesn't know... Well, the... We don't know who who had them do that. Right, but... We know that Vizzini is intentionally trying to start a war. Right. We don't know why. Right. But, like, he actually has, he said he has, like, a patch of, uh, like, a, of a cloak from a soldier from the neighboring country. True. And that's, that's how the prince at least knows that 
that it might have been someone from that country who kidnapped the princess, because that's, that's what he finds with Inigo's, when he finds Inigo, or that area, the first area with the sword fight. Uh, so the, that's why he thinks, oh, maybe it was someone from the neighboring country who kidnapped her. That sort of, that's, anyway. Right. Yeah. Okay, I gotcha. Oh, you're right, you're right. I wrote too many notes down. <laughs> no, 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 it's, it's good. I, I, I stole too many stories from Carrie Holmes. <laughs> I think you're, I think honestly what you're telling is way more entertaining and mine just like, mine's just like bogged down in mindless details or minute details. But well, you know, I'm, I was a, I was a professor for a while, and what that means is mostly um, that I read books so other people don't have to, and then summarize them. <laughs> so that's <laughs> well, it's actually it's a, it's kind of nice book. It has direct interviews to a lot of people. It's it's worth reading. Yeah. Right. So, so, he's following them. He's right behind him because he's the best hunter in the world. Meanwhile, the man in black, we don't recognize him. He looks nothing like anyone. He doesn't have a super sink jar or anything. Nope. <laughs> or an incredibly recognizable voice and accent. Not yeah. at all. Well, although he, he didn't he didn't speak as the farm boy, keep in mind. He had like one line. True. Like we recognize him now because we know who Carrie Elwes is, but uh but to someone who's seeing the movie for the first time they've yet to to it's conceivable that's <laughs> all I'm saying <laughs> someone might not know who this is <laughs> anyway the man in black is being real mean to buttercup for for Marrying someone else mm -hmm. for like a little too long, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a little bit awkward after a while. It's like, it's uh, cruel. Yeah. Uh, he's definitely real mad at her for this and saying, like, well, you can't have been love. You're marrying what's his name? Prince B Butter Dunk. <laughs> um, uh, and this is the scene where he's got a broken toe, so 
when he sits very strange, that's why. Mm. Um, so they're fighting. I mean, they're arguing. She throws him down the hill, and that's when he says the line, which is, as you wish, which really means, I love you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then, one more bizarre scene in cinematic history. <laughs> She's like, oh, what have I done? And throws herself down the hill. <laughs> And they roll down the hill for a really long time. <laughs> it's a long hill. It's like 30 seconds. Bumping down it for an extended period. Yeah, it's like, that's gotta hurt. There's rocks and everything. It's, <laughs> it's a great scene. It's such a weird movie. <laughs> this is also of the the more Mel Brooksy yeah <laughs> segments, I think. Definitely. Uh, so they throw each other down the hill, make out of the bottom. Explain what's going on. So Wesley's backstory is: Listen, it's not that he didn't want to come back; it's that he's been murdering hundreds of people (laughs) (laughs) because what's happened is uh, uh, the the Dread Pirate Roberts, who they thought he was the whole time. Who's also the one that... Oh, that's why they were fighting. Because she thought he was the one who murdered Wesley. Right. Because he was saying, like, I'm the Dread Pirate Rob. She's like, not the one attacked Wesley. never leaves survivors. Apparently, that's, that's a fake out. What he does is he attacks people... Then when he reaches retirement age, he picks someone else to take over for him. So Wesley did get attacked by Dread Pirate Roberts, but then was selected to like apprentice as an extra Pirate Roberts, so he did. Which is weird. Yeah, <laughs> that's just... So, it's not that he's been taking out, it's that he's been murdering merchant uh, sailors. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently making bank in the process, because apparently all the Previous Dread Pirate Roberts can just retire in opulence to some foreign country. I think decent pirates do usually make a lot of money. Oh, yeah. Thing. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm just saying, like, he, he must be pretty goddamn rich at this point. So. 
Angry. Yeah. So us has been killing a lot of people. <laughs> the anger is suddenly gone. <laughs> yeah. They're not mad at each other anymore. Yeah. And they're gonna go try to escape through the... What do they call the swamp? The... I wrote it down. Where did I write it down? Uh, the fire swamp. The fire swamp. Which is a really appropriate name, considering that there's fire in the swamp. It's literally just, it's a soundstage swamp. It looks like, like a sort of Wizard of Oz set. <laughs> where occasional flamethrower geysers just go off. Yeah. And they have to avoid those. Um, and they mention what, there's, there's three things. There's... Lightning sand? Yes. There's the the fire, the gouts of fire, the lightning sand, and what we'll get to later, the rodents of unusual size. Yeah. So, so the first thing is there's there's fire guns gone off everywhere. It, it's just a good old fashioned. This feels like labyrinth to me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Good old fashioned booby traps out of nowhere thing. Well, they make a noise before they go off, but they don't know where it's gonna happen. They just know something's gonna. So there's going to be a gout of flame in a couple seconds. Yeah. Then the so they lost their very first take on this because the screenwriter was on set during this, mm-hmm. but but missed what scene they were filming. And freaked out when Buttercup's dress caught on fire. Because, <laughs> like, guys, guys! <laughs> like, no one was doing anything, so they thought no one else saw. <laughs> <laughs> so they lost one take like that just because. Is well intentioned but very confused screenwriter <laughs> who are normally not on set with the directors. Yeah. <laughs> was very scared that the actor's leg was gonna burn out. Uh, Even though he wrote the scene. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we missed a cut back to the book. 
but I must cut back to the oh. present day. Go ahead. Where the, where the, the, it's like right when they're about to start making out right before they enter the swamp. We cut back to the, the present day and the kid, you know, Fred Savage is like, I don't want to hear you talk about kissing. And that's, that's all I wrote down about that. And that's, I don't remember what else they did that passed there, but, um, they go back to that, the swamp after that. So, I mean, it's a fair complaint. He did say he didn't want to read a kissing book. Yeah, he did want to hear about sports and other things. But, yeah, apparently there's lots of kissing in this book. Which is gross. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I don't... It's not my bag either, really. <laughs> yeah, so then there's the lightning sand. This looks like a dangerous stunt. Because, uh, it's... It's like trapdoor quicksand. Um... She falls in, then he dives in head first, mm-hmm. which like it looks cool. I I, I don't dive into trapdoors head first. Mm-hmm. Like that's no. scary to me. <laughs> but he did it, and this is I guess is his toes healed because this scene was shot before he broke his toe. Kerry Ellis hurts himself a few times. It's very funny. And it was his idea, because it looked bad when they just went feet first. Mm-hmm. It's his idea to dive face first. Oh, God. This thing. And they're like, all right, I mean, you can. Um. We're gonna have you sign this thing because we decided to be feet first. <laughs> it's like there's there's matches under there which are fine for like ankles and knees. We're not sure it's good for neck and head. <laughs> But it worked out. <laughs> um, so she gets sucked down to quicksand. This motherfucker chops a vine and grabs the end and dives into quicksand <laughs> after her. Which, like, A, that's not how quicksand works. That's fine. It's lightning sand. It's magic quicksand. Yeah. B, I don't know how deep it was or how long that vine is. I don't think that's a good plan. <laughs> I mean, it must have been, a, you know, it was at least six feet deep because she was like completely, you know, she was underneath 
the, the bottom of the sand completely. They both were, so it must have been pretty deep. Oh, it's, it's definitely deep enough. I'm just thinking like that vine probably isn't long enough to reach the bottom. Oh, yeah. No, probably not. <laughs> but apparently it was because they get out of there. And yeah. Okay, then I've got one more story here. So they get out of there. Uh-huh. They get attacked by these, these terrible 80s rodent actors, which are obviously just little people in foam suits. <laughs> or latex and fursuits. The, the lead guy was missing the day of the shoot, the lead, the lead rack, mm -hmm. I mean. So, he was wrestling a stuffed one for the first half That's, and it wasn't working at all. I, it seemed like it, yeah. Yeah. And they thought they were gonna have to do the entire, like, up close scenes together, like, can't do this for the close-ups. It looks bad already. <laughs> um, and they shut up because apparently the the lead, the little person who's gonna play the the rat who did the actual biting and up close stuff, uh, got arrested for drunk driving the night before. Oh my God. <laughs> Um, oh my god. And like, and he was trying to talk his way out of like an early release, he'll come back to court later thing because it was really important scene that day. They're like, what, you're an actor? He's like, I swear I'm an actor. I'm, like, who you work for? You wouldn't know he's American. It's like, what part are you playing? A rat. Okay, come with us. They <laughs> 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 didn't believe him at all. <laughs> Which I get. Yeah. That's obviously made up. <laughs> it wasn't. It's like, no, I have to bite a pirate tomorrow. <laughs> no, <laughs> oh my god. Uh, yeah. So. <laughs> so that's the whole thing. Yeah. So he he fights this rodent of unusual size and it's it's a steep drop in quality from the previous fights yeah although it's, it's still kind of fun yeah, it, it is it is very silly yeah cause I mean he gets he gets scratched up pretty badly and bit 
finally defeats the rat because he hears one of the, the flame gouts about to erupt, so he holds the rat over this hole, and the rat gets lit on fire, and then he stabs it a bunch, and, you know. Yeah, you sort of feel bad for the or at least I sort of feel bad for the rat. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely this giant gross thing is just crying on fire. <laughs> yeah. And then the prince catches up, apparently. Yeah, so finally get out of the fire swamp but the prince has gone around already mm-hmm. he should have stayed in the fire swamp and lived there well I mean cause they had it figured out they could have just lived there yeah least, I mean Leslie specifically says he would do that that they were gonna do that just so they wouldn't have to be followed by the prince, but it doesn't quite work out that way. But they're surrounded. Yeah. And Wesley wants to fight, and he'd probably win because he wins everything. Robin's like, no, what if we don't? <laughs> No, so she offers to basically go back with the prince in order to let uh, Wesley go free. And the prince agrees, and uh, so they, they, he tells his second in command uh, as soon as we're out of sight. Uh, take him to the pit. I'm sorry, was it the pit of despair? I think that's what it was. Pit of despair. Yeah. So, prince and princess ride off. And then, um, then he's then he's taken to the pit. He's uh, he's bonked on the head by the six-fingered man and taken to the pit. Okay. So, so sorry. So I know we're skip- I know we're probably skipping stuff, but go ahead. So. Well, she volunteers. She's gonna go back if, if they spare Wesley. And oh, cause it's like okay, we'll spare him once he leaves the Wesley and the the six fingered man are, are like, why are we still lying? It's like okay, fair <laughs> enough. We're, we're we're not gonna let you go. <laughs> um, but what his lie is, he's, oh, you have six fingers. 
I have a friend who's looking for you. Bonks on the head. The the knockout is real because <laughs> seriously, they kept they kept mistiming it. Like so, Christopher Guest was so afraid to hurt Carriolus mm-hmm. that he kept him so lightly here he kept like reacting at the wrong time because he could barely feel it. Oh. So it was like through his hair and he said this is the second time he like put himself in danger on purpose. Uh and didn't realize he was doing it because he's he's young and stupid. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's like you know you can it's okay, like, you can actually tap me on the head. I'm not gonna die. Like, I'll just react <laughs> to it. Oh, no, you didn't mean it. It's fine. It's like, are you sure? And, like, he had to convince him to. He's like, I, I don't want to hurt you. He's like, you're not gonna hurt me. <laughs> so, like, okay. Bob's on the head of hill. And knocks him out. <laughs> oh my god. And according to his book, like he woke up in a hospital room with the same doctor who treated him for his broken toe earlier. <laughs> and in both occasions, he went right from the set, so it's this weird guy. He showed up to the hospital dressed as Zorro. <laughs> so this poor doctor doesn't know what's going on. It's like, oh, it's you again. <laughs> guy dressed like Zorro. What? With saber wounds, alright? <laughs> just... <laughs> oh my god. But that's the take made into movies, so that that half second is actually young Carol's getting knocked out by Christopher Guest. <laughs> Amazing, and that's why the uh, the Nakia Nigo scene, which was filmed afterwards, is done from that camera angle where you can't see the impact and sort of very calm over the back of the head because. Carrie is at this point terrified of killing <laughs> his friend. <laughs> anyway, that's that's one of my last stories. I think it might be the last one. Not my stories, the ones that I stole from his book and <laughs> tried to sell for profit. And now we enter into 
into the uh, the torture and suicide chapter. Hooray. You know, for kids. So he wakes up. Wesley wakes up. He's in the pit of despair with this. He's listed. His his name in the movie is Albino. Uh, this is Mel Smith, who initially starts talking with this terrifying voice, and then he coughs a couple times and clears his throat. And, oh, it just has a regular voice. So, kind of a silly moment there. And, um... He's cleaning, he's like basically cleaning the wounds, uh, telling him that he's going to, you know, be tortured by this thing called the machine. The machine. Yeah, which, uh, you know, Probably we would have thought it was just some sort of um, actual machine mechanical torture device. We'll find out later it's not quite that, but sort of that. It's a milking machine. <laughs> yeah, in a way. <laughs> This is where Fred Savage interrupts, I think. Doesn't he? Uh, I think he interrupts just after this. Because there was, because we get to the point where it's like, it's the wedding day. And, um the princes and the f the king is dying and uh, they wanted to they want to get married right before he dies but they can't the, the king dies and they're married immediately afterwards and then you know, it's, and then the kid says, then the kid interrupts and he says, it's not fair that Wesley is being tortured and he's in this pit of despair and the king uh, got married and the princess has to marry him and she's uh, despondent and everything um, and grandpa says yeah sometimes life's not fair that's just kind of how it is <laughs> it's like who said life was gonna be fair yeah, exactly <laughs> Turns out, it was all just a dream. Oh wait, sorry, we yeah. skipped some stuff, cause... Uh, they, they... I mean, 
they introduced the queen, like the, the uh, Humperdinck introduces her as the queen, uh, and then this uh, old crone lady starts booing at her. Yeah, this, this is a very Monty Python game. <laughs> I thought, yeah. like, it's this. Like, the character's name is actually called, I think she's called the, like, the Ancient Boor or something like that. That was her character's name. Uh, nice. But she's calling her, like, Queen of Slime, and she's just calling all sorts of terrible things. And then... Buttercup wakes up, and it was all a dream. We find out that, oh, they're not actually married. It's ten days until the wedding. Yeah, the king's still alive. Yeah. He's gonna have one of the best slides in the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Humperdinck's room to threaten suicide. <laughs> yeah. She's like, listen, I love Wesley. If you get married, I kill myself. <laughs> and he's like, okay, um, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> so instead he offers to send his four fastest ships in four different directions with uh, four copies of a letter that she's written to Wesley. And if, if Wesley comes back to her, because the whole, the whole gimmick was that uh, she asked, she said, uh, let Wesley go back to his ship and go back to be to being a pirate and then she'll marry him and uh, so the so they they're gonna send off letters letters that she wrote to Wesley if Wesley comes back then they'll call off the wedding That's the whole. Yeah. That's his big plan, which of course he doesn't do, but. Um, well, because he doesn't send the votes. Yeah, no. He'll, he'll lie about sending the votes. Yeah, but I mean, you know, why would he. I mean, he wouldn't want to do that anyway, because. You know, the Wesley is just some no-good-nick pirate, and he's a prince about to be a king. Why on earth would this... Why on earth would this princess want to, you know, be with this weird, gross pirate band who probably can't support her or anything? Makes no sense. No. 
No, it's uh, he's he's just looking out for her. He's he's got everyone's best interest at heart. I think Prince Humperdinck does. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Except. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> well, so he has a very good line, just the way he reads, like, and if he doesn't come back, I hope you'll consider me an acceptable alternative to suicide. <laughs> 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 That was pretty great. That was one of the good lines that I forgot to write down. But yeah, that's one of the. <laughs> so many good lines in this movie. Yeah. Um, but then, no, he goes down to. He goes down to. Torture Hole. Mm hmm. And it turns out. He knew the whole time, and he talks with Christopher Guest, who's who's doing the torture thing. And I, I didn't write down his exact line. If you did, well, I mean, sure, but it's it's pretty like the Christopher Guest's like, hey, do you wanna do you wanna stay and watch me suck the milk out of this guy? And he's like, no, I mean, I have I have a wedding to plan, a wife to murder, a kingdom to blame for, and a war to start. I'm swamped. <laughs> so that's when you learn it was him the whole time. <laughs> Yeah, because this whole plan was he was going to frame the neighboring country for kidnapping and murdering his wife. He was going to murder her on his wedding night so he could uh, so he could start a war with the neighboring country for reasons well, now, because. Because Vizzini was supposed to do it. Right, but it was never explained why he wanted to start the war. Right? No. Okay. Well, I think that's one of those things that uh, was said to be in the book and skipped over because it was boring. Oh, okay. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> I don't know, really. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things that probably didn't need to be expounded upon. It's just one of the, like, back in 1987, people probably wouldn't have cared. But now it's like, I want to know why he wanted to start a war with the other country. It's like, and you don't actually have to know all the details. I don't. <laughs> no, I, it doesn't matter. I was just, I was just curious if I had missed it or something. But if, if they didn't explain it, then that's fine. This movie doesn't need all the extra explanation. 
the linebacker Christopher Guest were talking and forth like, well, take care of yourself. If you haven't got your health, you haven't got anything. Brotherly concern for each other, which is actually kind of fun. Like, I almost, I almost wish that the murder scheme hadn't been Prince Humperdinck because. Other than that one thing, they both just seem like harsh, but pretty cool guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that's the first time I was like, oh, someone's actually evil in this movie, as opposed to just a bunch of very polite, different yeah. interests colliding. <laughs> but it's fun. It's a good movie. Yeah, just yeah. That was the first time I was like, "Wait a sec, you're not sympathetic. <laughs> Everyone else is sympathetic." <laughs> yeah. Uh, back to our boys. They're in the forest village from Princess, from Prince of Thieves, I think. <laughs> Or someplace a lot like it. I think this movie came out before Prince of Thieves, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay. But I mean, they were... I actually don't know, but it's... It just has a similar look, is all I meant to say. I, I highly doubt it's actually the same 30-foot swath of forest with, uh... I mean, you never know. I think both film, both movies were filmed in England, so you never know. That's true. I would keep reusing something like that if I had it set up. Like, hey, you know, I have a cool stick village built in the woods, like. <laughs> Kids playing on the weekend, but other than that, it's open. <laughs> so I think this is where. Isn't this where they use the machine for the first time? Oh, yeah, probably. Like before Humperdinck leaves or asks to sleep or something. Yeah, because, um... So, so the machine, what, it sucks the life out of people? Yeah, apparently, because I thought initially when they started, like, when water started pouring out of there, I thought he was going to be waterboarded, but, um, no, apparently they just can, they can, like, suck the life essence out of people somehow and uh that's cool yeah and they put it in other people or they just suck it up and then throw it away I, th I don't know I think they just suck it up and throw it away which seems kind of wasteful you know you've got like a 
I don't remember the name of that movie where you could, uh, or it might have been a book or something where people have a specific amount of life that they, like, they're allotted, but they can, like, take other people's life and add it to their own. I don't think they, I don't know if this happens in that movie or if they just kind of toss it, but seems wasteful if they're just throwing away life essence like that. So if you're gonna vampire someone to death, vampire yourself to life, right? Yeah, exactly. Add more years on to your life. I'm just like, otherwise, I'll just bash him with a rock or something. Exactly. It just seems wasteful. I know I've said that like four times, but seriously. Don't waste your life essence. No, I'm with you. If I have a life-sucking machine, uh, it would be used differently than this. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. So they... I don't, though. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yet. Oh. Alright. I'm curious. And... I mean, I don't know how to, I don't know how to build one, but... Well, I... I I hope to, I hope you keep me updated on this on the project on the progress of this project because I want in on the ground floor. <laughs> I mean it looks painful is the problem. Yeah, we're gonna have to fix we're gonna have to like work on that, make it Relatively painless. Not completely painless, because, you know, you're still losing your life essence. But. Yeah, but. Nah, but like. Like. There's jerks. I could find jerks. Oh, yeah. This is just my hypothetical what if I was a man, uh, vampire again. Vampire? I don't know. I've mentioned the various people I would suck life out of like three movies so far. <laughs> it's becoming a thing. <laughs> So they suck a they suck a year out of Wesley's life through magic, I guess. Uh, yeah, it, uh, yeah, it's weird. This whole machine is weird because, like the the purpose it serves in the actual plot seems no different than just like a. a not gory way to kill someone. Mm-hmm. But 
It's fine. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. We get back to our boys. They're in the, the forest village. And he goes drunk. <laughs> and there's a brute squad clearing out the village. Which Fezzik is on. <laughs> Because the, I think the, the, um, the prince explained to his, to, what was his name, Yellen, that, uh, they wanted, oh, Gilder's the name of the other country. I finally wrote it down here. Like, two-thirds of the way through the movie, I finally wrote down my notes. Um, he was telling, uh, he was telling his chief enforcer that, uh, Gilder was planning to murder, uh, the princess on their wedding night, so he wanted, uh, the thieves' forest or whatever cleared out, and, uh, like the the watch doubled up in the castle and that sort of thing and um, yeah so that's where we find uh, Andre as part of this brute squad to clear out the forest which Inigo is in yeah yeah so he and he decides not to, because then he goes his friend, I guess. Yeah. We still don't know why these guys are friends, but they are, so it's cool. Yeah, they have good chem. They had good chemistry when Mazzini was around, so they figured, oh, let's, let's not kill each other now, either. And this is where Andre uppercuts a guy's head off. Because one of the other guys in the brute squad was like, Hey, what are you doing? And Andre's just like, He he actually just uppercuts the guy. (laughs) The guy's dead, but, you know, you can't show him dying. Definitely dead. Absolutely dead. (laughs) have a fun trying to wake up drunk and ego thing where he just picks him up and starts putting him <laughs> in different like bowls of water. No, no he like he like he, they show him spoon feeding him like I think the grandpa's like narrating this like he's he's trying to nurse him back to health he's spoon feeding him soup and then Inigo just like passes out in the soup. And then Andre's just like dunking him in water. And after a while, Inigo's like, You can stop now. I'm awake. <laughs> so then, remind me, uh, I, I missed. 
I've seen this a bunch of times. I missed why they're going to the castle. Like, he, he finds out the Six-Fingered Man is in the castle, right? Yes, I believe that. But how? Uh, I forgot how. It had something to do... I think it had something to do with the fact that the Six-Fingered Man was maybe... No, I don't remember, actually. I didn't write this down. That's weird. Um, yeah, like, I know we know as the audience, and an ego now knows as a character. I forget how he finds out. Yeah, I don't actually like, have I that down. I didn't write down the time, and I don't have it in my memory. I don't have that in my notes. That... Huh. Okay. <laughs> I... Wait, wait, for, for some reason now... I seriously have seen this movie like a dozen times, so I did. It's weird that I don't know, but for some reason now... Uh... Inigo knows that the Six-Fingered Man is in the castle and that's where his vengeance is. Yeah. So, they want to try to get in, but there's too many guards, because there's 30 guards. Mm -hmm. And because they're both dumb... <laughs> <laughs> he has to count on his finger and realize how many that means for each of them. Yeah, well, I mean, well, Andres asks how many, how many guards can Andre take, and he said, probably not more than ten. And it takes Inigo, like, ten seconds to, like, count on his fingers, like, well, that leaves twenty for me. That's too many for me. I can't handle 20 people. <laughs> so, there is. <laughs> what they realize is like, well, we're not smart. It's too bad Vizini's dead. You know who else was smart? <laughs> that guy who kicked our asses. <laughs> yeah. He'll know how to take care of 30 guards to help us it's kill 30 worst. guards. It's definitely the worst plan ever. I love that. Oh, yeah. Life. We have to find another smart. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's fair. I guess Inigo's not as intelligent as I give as I uh, gave him credit for earlier. I mean, he has good ideas, but 
Mm-hmm. You got easier. You're just like, who to go to for help? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This is when the princess realizes that the prince is lying because he was like, my whole, every ship, all the ships, every ship that I own, all of them, (laughs) everywhere is going to be at the wedding tomorrow. She's like, but you sent four away, I thought. He's like, no, I didn't. Wait. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because he gives her this glance. He's like, oh, shit. Yes, except for those four that I definitely sent off to find the love of your life and give you the letter give him the letter letters or whatever I forget what I lied about I mean promised to do (laughs) (laughs) it's a little obvious (laughs) yeah Uh, so, so she calls him a coward he gets all mad Kills Wesley. Well, he like throws her in a closet and then he kills him. He turns the he turns the the machine on to like maximum and just sucks all the life essence out of Wesley. And apparently, yeah, his scream is so loud that he can be heard from like a long way away. And Nico hears him and magically knows that that's the man in black <laughs> because that's the scream of ultimate suffering. <laughs> I mean, he must know. I mean, his, you know, he has to deal with the ultimate suffering when his father died, right? Well, that's what he says. Like, that, I know that. That's the scream of ultimate heartbreak. That's the scream that my father made when he was killed. He's like, wait a second. <laughs> You've killed dozens of that's just a guy yelling. <laughs> Look, I'm not gonna question it. It's just... <laughs> it's... No, you can't question things in this movie. No, of it's, course not. It's insane. <laughs> Decides he's gonna trust in the spirit of his sword, which his father made, to guide him to where this guy is. And it fucking works! (laughs) (laughs) Well, before they do that, though, they run into the, uh, the albino guy, who, you know, he I don't 
remember exactly what the reasoning was for them running into each other, but like there's a wheelbarrow. Well, they're running towards the stream. They're running towards the general right. stream. Um, and then they try to Inigo tries to tell Andre to like, hey, jog his memory, and Andre just kills him. By hitting and bashing him in the head. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they can't. So we're gonna try to squeeze him for information. It's like, oh, yeah. you're too big and he's dead. Well, yeah. <laughs> so instead, Inigo prays to his father for guidance. To find the to find the the entrance to this this pit, and there's like it's a decently long scene of him just sort of with his eyes closed, just kind of walking with his sword outstretched. Not, you know, just. It's actually kind of neat. I kind of like this scene where it's just. You're just sort of wondering, like, what's gonna happen? What are they gonna find? Is he actually, like, is this. Is he gonna raise the sword up and jab the ground? Like, what's gonna happen? And after a bit of time. He runs the sword into this, like, rock formation. And Inigo opens his eyes and he's like, Oh. Well, it's it's a tree, isn't it? Oh, was it a tree? Oh, I guess it was a tree. Sorry, I thought it was a rock formation. But yeah, I think it's a tree. Um, He knocks the sword into the tree. And he kind of opens his eyes and he kind of looks disappointed. And then this hidden passage opens up. It's like, all right then. (laughs) Guess they found the pit. Because his sword did in fact guide him to it, which is crazy, but I'm into it. Yeah. So they, they go down in there, uh, and they're gonna try to rescue a man in black, but he's too dead to actually rescue. And that's when you pulled back, I was like, wait, you read that wrong, Grandpa. <laughs> yeah. He can't be dead. <laughs> and Grandpa's like, no, he's dead. Spoils, he's like, well, who kills Humperdinck? He spoils the ending of the movie right there. It's <laughs> actually a little bold. Yeah. Like, as a choice, it's like, oh, no one kills Humperdinck. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? <laughs> he gets all mad. I, 
don't know, I just kind of love that scene because it winds up being true. Like, that's kind of gutsy, actually. Like, now why saw like that sometimes he lives, like, sometimes bad people live. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Back in the fake world, they grab the body and leave to go get a miracle. And that's what they say. Yep. Like, <laughs> we need a miracle. There's a miracle store. Let's go get a miracle. <laughs> it's an amazing world they've created. And this is, I think, the most Mel Brooks scene in the movie to the point where it probably should have just been Mel Brooks, but I like Billy Crystal anyway. You described this one. You seem to like it the most. Uh, I, uh, honestly, this was my least favorite scene of the movie. <laughs> Not gonna oh, lie. Never mind then. No, okay. sorry, this, that was me being facetious again earlier. Sorry. Oh, I, I was not I was I not can't tell. I know. When I'm when I'm I'm too good at lying if I'm not using my dumb person voice. So uh, sorry, I'll, when I'm, when I'm lying and being stupid, I'll use my dumb person voice. Um, but, yeah, so they, they go to this store, and there's this old man who answers the door, and it's clearly Billy Crystal, uh, in makeup, and a long nose and white hair uh and apparently he creates miracles Actually, i knew it was clearly makeup but i didn't know it was clearly billy crystal i didn't recognize him at first i recognized him immediately so, because of his voice honestly the voice is there yeah okay fair enough but like, uh, honestly, I wasn't paying super close attention to what was happening in this scene because I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. It was like, I don't, I don't dislike Billy Crystal, but unfiltered, he can get kind of grating to me. But they basically, they say that, you know, they, they want to find it. They want a miracle to try and bring this man back, to bring uh, Wesley back to life. And um, he, he, you know, the way Billy Crystal describes it, he says something like, he's not dead, he's mostly dead. Which is a thing apparently that can happen in this universe. 
because I guess they didn't yeah. suck all the life essence out of him. Maybe they left him like a few extra hours of life or something. So, well, he's, he's, he's dead dead, but he can still like, because he used bellows to put a bunch of air in his lungs then sit on his chest to hear what he has to say. Yeah. But he's not breathing. He's definitely dead. Yeah, no, okay. Yeah, I wrote this down. So, I wrote, here are my notes verbatim. I wrote, okay. So, Billy Crystal fills Wesley with air then asks him what life is worth living for, then pushes the air out of Wesley's stomach. Wesley says very quietly, True love. And apparently that's the thing that can happen. I guess the last thought in your mind can be spoken if someone fills your lungs with air and then pushes them out. I think we're overanalyzing. I think I'm analyzing just enough <laughs> for this. Given the Given the setting and the fact they're at the Miracle Store run by Kevin <laughs> Miracle Max. <laughs> yeah, and apparently he has a wife whose name is Valerie, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and she's just... She likes to torture Max, apparently, by... Because I guess Max and Humperdinck are related somehow? I wasn't entirely well, sure. Max... Max was the core wizard until Humperdinck fired... Well, until Humperdinck took over from his father and fired him. Okay. So... So Miracle Max does, he doesn't want to help because he doesn't care about anything. He does want to help if it'll hurt Humperdinck, though. Right. Which is a clever thing in Ego Dice. It's like, wait a sec. If you bring him back, it'll ruin Humperdinck's wedding. It's like, what? Hurt Humperdinck? Yeah. You know, oh god, you know who should have played Miracle Max? Yeah. I would, it was Mel Brooks in my head until just now, because he's definitely playing his yogurt character. <laughs> but no, no, no. This should have been Ernest P. Worrell. He's the guy. <laughs> <laughs> and 
passing back to my memories. And the guy who really should have been this is, I don't remember that actor's name, but Jim Varney. Jim Varney should have been Miracle Max. See, okay. Here, here's my, here's my thing with this scene. I, just because I, I did read a little bit about this scene, uh, and apparently, um, Billy Crystal and Carol Kane were allowed to improvise a bunch of their lines for this scene, which is why it feels so much more ridiculous than every other scene in the film, which is saying something sometimes. It does not fit. Yeah, it's uh... it's like it, it's not just that, but it feels like um like Mandy Patinkin and uh, Andre are just sort of like standing around waiting for them to shut up so they can deliver their lines. It just... Oh, I have a story. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, Manny Patinkin is just standing around. And he's standing around as far away as he can in the scene without ruining the scene because the only injury he suffered, unlike Carrie who hurts himself every four minutes, <laughs> um, <laughs> the only injury Mandy suffered was he thought Billy Crystal was hilarious and he bruised a rib because he was trying so hard because he was laughing and not like the show at all. <laughs> so he's just standing there, mouth clenched shut, cracking his rib in this scene because he thinks <laughs> Crystal's stupid monologue about Buttonless Tomato Sandwiches is so fucking funny. <laughs> like, <laughs> Good God. So, so you're right, but not because they hate him, it's because Manny Patinkley just loved him. <laughs> Which, like, I, I'm kind of with you. I don't get this, his sense of humor that much, but that is a charming ass story of like yeah. he's not talking because he's having so much fun at work. That's okay. <laughs> you know? I I mean to to me this scene just felt like the and I don't. I don't know if this is a trope by now, but the the sort of trope of having the the comedian who just sort of shows up in a cameo and does a scene or does like a couple scenes and then disappears forever. And it's like it's comic relief for the sense of comic relief. <laughs> sort of thing. It's like, 
he's gonna be goofy for two minutes or three minutes and then disappear and never appear again. It's like, why? Like, this movie definitely has a lot of humor in it and there are a lot of funny lines, but it's not like goofy like this section is and it just it really kind of took me out of the moment with that it's, it just it felt very out of place in this movie for me so yeah I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with you like I didn't I didn't hate it but it does feel I keep using the phrase Mel Brooksy, but it, it is, it's very, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very yogurt from, from Spaceballs, yeah, kind of, kind of show up, I'm like, okay, this is the part where this guy has the floor, mm-hmm, but it just, it felt kind of like, unfiltered Billy Crystal being Billy Crystal. It just... I think if he had been reined in a little bit, it might have been more tolerable for me. Like, if he had just followed whatever was in the script, it might have been a bit more tolerable for me. But it was just sort of like... He talks about mutton, lettuce, and tomato sandwiches for like a minute straight. And uh, he's like walking around the room and while Carol Kane is yelling humperdink at him for like 30 seconds. And it's like, it's just a bit much for me. Eventually, they get, oh, he gives them, like, a pill, a miracle pill. Sorry, I interrupted you. Uh, no, no it's, it's fair. I don't disagree. It just doesn't, it doesn't bother me as much as it seems to bother you, but I do not disagree with your assessment. It, it definitely is an awkward scene from a different movie. <laughs> yeah. Like, this would have fit, uh, it's like, this scene would have fit in perfectly with, like, the Sheriff of Nottingham scenes in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. But, in this movie, it just felt like, like it was just cut out from a different movie and then just placed in here for the hell of it. Sheriff Nottingham would have killed in this movie. <laughs> it would have been so great. I always forget his name. I love him. He's dead. Alan Rickman. Yeah. Alan Rickman could have <laughs> put Alan Rickman as almost any role in this movie. <laughs> Uh, I like this movie. I don't think anything in this movie is badly cast, but 
there are some yeah. other guys I would fall so white to see in it. Oh, absolutely. No, the, the, the film is perfectly cast, I'll be honest. I mean, even though I didn't like this scene particularly, Billy Crystal and Carol Hinn are perfect for the roles of Miracle Max and Valerie. I have no qualms about the casting at all. Well, I do like, like, the... the bacon, mutton, tomato thing that people quote a lot. I don't super get uh, why that's so funny. I do love the half-fun storm in the castle. <laughs> <laughs> like that's... There's <laughs> walking away and waving like finger-waving at them. That's pretty funny. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's really good, yeah. I also like how he coats the magic resurrection pill and chocolate to look it down easier. <laughs> but, like, there's some good stuff there is. It's just, like, this is the first time I've officially sat down and watched this movie. And I was taking notes during it. And it just, like, this just kind of, this scene was very jarring to me. So probably if I was just watching the movie and not taking notes and trying to be critical about it, I'd probably think it was fine. Or at least not, like, intolerable, but just just kind of having it seemingly come out of nowhere and just be this complete 180 turn from how the movie had been feeling because you know we're talking about a guy who was just murdered and there's a girl who's constantly talking about committing suicide and it's like here's this wacky old guy who's trying to make a miracle and he's talking about mutton, lettuce, and tomato sandwiches, and his wife is, isn't a, you know, whatever. It just, it just felt very out of left field for me, and probably upon future viewings of this film, because I do want to watch this film again and not be, like, thinking about being critical or taking notes or anything, I'll probably think it's fine. It's just, when I'm sitting there and being like, I'm taking notes, and this is really weird, why is Billy Crystal just yammering on and on for five minutes? This is weird, sort of thing. It just kind of, it really threw me off. 
uh, off the the rest of the the feeling of the movie, but it's probably fine in hindsight. It was just when I first watched it, it just was like I I don't understand the point of this scene besides just to let Billy Crystal have a cameo. Yeah, to each their own, I guess. It's probably fine. No, it's fair. You don't have to. <laughs> you don't have to bend like every minute of this movie or anything. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, there's one other aspect of the movie that I'll talk about later that I didn't like, but we'll talk about that at the end. Okay. So, uh... Um, so they revived Wesley. Yep. And he... only has had come back to life <laughs> first. It's very strange. Yeah. But I guess they want, to, they want to maintain some challenge so you can't just have a man in black his way through the entire castle. <laughs> Which is a little disappointing, but also very funny, so okay with me. Yeah. Especially like how Andre's just sort of marionetting his head around. Yeah. Like, look. <laughs> <laughs> So they revive Wesley and he's paralyzed he instantly is like killing other devil are you what about <laughs> pretty good <laughs> they kind of explain that they're dragging him around pumping him around it's it's, it's very weird it's pretty funny though <laughs> yeah He has an idea to get through these three guards. Like, it's too bad I don't have a magic Holocaust cloak. And I was like, oh, I have one of those. <laughs> it's just. just took it from a miracle. Fucking so. <laughs> yeah. He was like, it fit me so he said I could have it. And I was like. <laughs> Yeah. No, but I, I love that they, they introduced the concept of this thing at the same moment they solve the problem on screen. Like, it's... What are we doing, guys? It's great. So the Holocaust cloak, yes, is a cloak you can set on fire that's fireproof but burns on the outside or something. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a that's seemingly what it did. Uh, that's how it it 
activator acted during the it's one scene and uh, we also there's a dramatic yeah, pause and we get to Peter Cook the impressive clergyman <laughs> Okay, look, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I'll freely admit when I first saw this, like, I didn't know who it was, and for a second I thought it was Eric Idle, and I had to look up who it was. But yeah. So, He's got kind of an Eric Idle face. Yeah. And a little bit of an Eric Idle voice, too. But not, like... It's... Yeah, it's definitely... He is his own person. <laughs> yes, he is. Yes. Because... <laughs> this guy... <laughs> The first word out of his mouth is mawage. And it's just like, it just all goes downhill from there. It's just ridiculous. It's such a weird, like, it. It's one joke, and it's a strange one joke to, to give much weight to. Mm-hmm. But it's just, he it just has a speech impediment, does dramatic speech with the speech impediment. And I'm sorry, but it is pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> For some reason, it doesn't necessarily fit with anything. I don't know why it's given the attention it is. <laughs> I do find it very amusing and I don't know why. I think that I honestly maybe Rob Ryan just wanted to give Peter Cook an extended cameo. Just be like, here, read this script but talk really funny for two minutes. And that was, that was the impetus for that, maybe. I don't know. Or maybe this was just another, like, the Billy, I feel like he did this with a couple guys, like the, the, I know that the the albinos like having one voice and coughing and it wasn't his real voice gag was improv by that guy. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of Billy Crystal's lines were improv. This could have just been all. Sorry, Peter Cook. Is yeah. Something. This could have always been Peter Cook's improv, and I think Rob Breyer may have just taken a couple respected British comedians and been like, 
You know what be funny? Yeah. <laughs> do your thing. I mean, the, the witness problem. different one's approach it was to do funny voices or ramble about mutton <laughs> or whatever the different, uh... Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if that was what happened, but... Yeah. No, no, that's, that's not a thing I know from the book or anything, I just, from how random a lot of these, these sketches are at this point, and they're all like one guest star who does a thing and then leaves, it feels like it might be, uh, that might be what's going on, you know? Yeah. So, Prince is trying to hurry up the, the marriage ceremony one day, I guess, the, it's, it's the Dread Pirate Roberts, which is just Andre in his Holocaust cloak, I think, or was that? <laughs> yeah. So they uh, he he tries to he threatens everyone. He's being wheeled up on a cart or something. <laughs> yeah, because he's they're trying to. I guess they're trying to make it seem like he's this ghostly figure or something or this this supernatural figure of some sort uh and then like they they the thing get they light the cloak on fire and he's like sort of gliding through and the people are freaking out running away and uh, I mean, it works, because they get up to the gate, and, uh, they get to the, um, the, what's his name, Yellen? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they want to get into the, oh no, didn't they catch the didn't Andre catch the portcullis or something as the gate was falling Yeah, down? he's trying to close the portcullis. Andre catches it and they have him trapped against a wall. Yeah. But they need a key to get in the door, right? Right. And, you know, they... I don't remember exactly what it was, but they do something silly and they, they like threaten his life and he gives the key away. Yeah, it's, they, they say, you know, he gives the key and he's like, what key? And he's like, all right, Andre tears on Oh, this key. That's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> just Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, which, no lie, 
that would work on me right away. Oh yeah. <laughs> For sure. It's like, wait, who am I being threatened by right this moment? Oh, it's a hundred the giant. <laughs> yeah, what do you need? <laughs> My boss won't <laughs> tear me apart, so we're fine. So they, they, they go into the castle, apparently this is a real, uh, they filmed on site in a really old castle, which is kind of neat, hmm. um, which is why the walls look a little bit better than set walls usually do. Yeah. Guards come in and Nego kills like a dozen <laughs> of them. It's pretty smooth, actually. Yeah, because, I mean, the the six-fingered man is leading him. He sends, like, four or five guards up. And, like, they run in, like, a line. They don't... They don't run at him in a group. He just slashes each of them down with, like, one stroke each. It's actually really impressive. Yeah, but just the... The way he positions himself sort of acrobats around, like, it's not... Because there are a lot of bad movie fight scenes where everyone dies in one hit and whatnot, but he, he... puts the sword where it needs to be for that to be a reasonable thing to die from, you know? Yeah. Like, he, he, he gets them just right. Mm-hmm. And Manny Potemkin has been training with sword for like six months at this point, so it's just, you know, it was pretty well done. Yeah. It's all I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, it didn't look as fake as it definitely ought to have given numbers involved. <laughs> yeah, and then he he finally gets to say what he's wanted to say to the six-fingered man for the last 20 years. And then Six-year-old man. My favorite moment in yeah. the film. He he looks like he's about to draw his sword, and he's there's this dramatic close-up, and then he just runs away, <laughs> turns and runs. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. It's like it's it's so perfect for that character. It's like. Now I'm well, good. His comedic timing's excellent. He waits exactly long enough. He's like, you know, gets the sword out, finds his footing, does this sort of little foot shuffle thing, and like, actually, it's <laughs> <laughs> just... <laughs> Goes, runs down a hallway, 
into a door, locks the door, and he goes running after him. But he can't knock down the door, so he yells at Andre. It's like, I need your help. And Andre is like, he's still carrying Wesley, and he doesn't know what to do, so he just kind of hangs Wesley on something. He drapes on some armor. Yeah, he <laughs> drapes him like on a suit of armor, and just walks up slowly to the door, pushes Inigo inside. Punches the door down immediately. <laughs> yeah, just one. It's the same door, like, it's not a. a I think they don't even do a cutaway shot. Like, it's no, the same they door. They don't. The, the Inigo actor's been just ramming his shoulder into over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> they just. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, there was no cut. Like, he runs into it two or three times, and then Andre just pushes him aside and just knocks it down immediately. (laughs) Yeah. I love this scene. Yeah. Not sure why, but it. I mean, it's just, it's just, I don't know, any, any scene where Andre gets to, like, just be the, be the hero is, is a nice scene to see for me. Yeah, I just like the, like, clearly replacing real props with cardboard ones or something to just show... This guy is massive. <laughs> it's just fun. It's fun, cartoony. Yeah. Man, let's see. Also, I like the way that uh, that uh, Manny Pimpkin is just. Sort of like screaming, <laughs> pretty convincingly panicked when he thinks he's gonna get away. Yeah. Like, that's a throw, throw, throw! The guy I've been looking for is on the other side of art! Like, it's, it's. As he's jumping into the door, <laughs> trying to knock it over. Yeah, but just. The few times he has to sort of get real for a second and try to actually display some of Ego's, like, pathos, he's really good at it. Mm-hmm. In the, you know, the scene where he's giving his backstory or when he's finally confronting this guy. Yeah. He's just a good actor, that's all I'm saying. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Uh, and this is where we get the scene of the king. Yeah. (laughs) Because 
I guess the the marriage has finished, um, and the princess is she's like you know she's obviously doesn't want to be there, and she's talking to the king about saying, well. Uh, it's good meeting you. I'm gonna go kill myself now. And what does the king say? Well, she kisses him on the cheek because oh, yeah. he's always been good to her. Oh, yeah. He's like, you've always been good to me. I'm so sorry, but I'm off to kill myself now. And he's just like, she kissed me. <laughs> As he wanders off, smiling, rubbing his cheek. Like it's... Uh, just an adorable old man doesn't quite know where he is. Yeah. Uh, kind of sad, mostly funny. Yeah. And then we get Zombie and Ego. Well, it turns out we're missing Wesley. Oh, yeah. Because Feza gets back and guess who's gone. All right. Draped over armor, Wesley's gone. <laughs> and then we get Zombie and Ego. Right, sorry. No, because there, because in my notes it says, and then Six Fingered Man just flung a dagger into Inigo. And then we go to, I guess. Yeah, but they, they sort of weave it together so the climax is around the same time. Yes. Cause, yeah. Yeah, because following Six Fingered Man. He's hucking knives at him. Mm-hmm. He gets him pretty good. Yeah. But Nigo's not gonna die. Well. Here goes the zombie thing. Yeah. Uh, and then here's the other line that kind of threw me off. Uh, in this movie that's like, that feels like it's out of place, was, um, Princess is sitting in her room, she opens up a little box, not a little box, there's like a fairly large dagger that she takes out, and she holds it to her chest because she's going to kill herself. And then uh, Wesley says, I I don't remember the entire line, but the first part of it says, there's there's a shortage of perfect breasts in the world. Yes, that. (laughs) It'd be a shame to ruin yours. Yeah, like, uh, <laughs> you know, for kids. Yeah, exactly. 
No, totally. It's totally fine that it, I guess a grandfather is telling his grandson that line in this book for children. I mean, it's not a terrible line. No, it's not. It's, I mean, just feels a little out of place. But, eh. So, she starts... It's a little creepy. Maybe not for 1987, but it's a little creepy. Yeah. Gerald trying to... Well, I, I actually don't know. Who am I? <laughs> I generally don't refer to my significant other's breasts as breasts in public. <laughs> That's all. That doesn't mean anything, I guess. I think they're, I think they think they're in private anyway. Because they are in her room. So, but I, I just in general, it just seems a little, little weird to me. But, oh well. Yeah. Maybe it just sounds too clinical, so I think it's creepy. Probably. Although I'm pretty sure if, I mean, if, if Wesley had said, uh, damn girl, don't damage them banging titties, it might not work either very well as a line in the movie. I mean, I would have loved that in his accent specifically. Yeah, I'm not saying I wouldn't want to hear it, I'm just saying that probably also wouldn't have worked in 1987. It would have also not fit the mood of this film. You're right. Mostly it's referring to them directly, I guess. Yeah. But that's... Oh well. So Wesley's all dead on the bed. <laughs> being not able to move. Yeah. And somewhat funny for that reason. <laughs> Although how he got there is beyond me. <laughs> you know? Force of will, I guess. Like, hey, you're not dead mostly, but you're definitely paralyzed. This is weird. Don't tell me anything. <laughs> so he doesn't. <laughs> uh, now back to me. Right. So, Six Fingered Man is just sort of taunting him. Know, saying you went you went you went all this way took all this time to find revenge and you failed how does that feel and then 
apparently Inigo is a zombie because he revives himself, pulls the dagger out of his stomach, and then just starts saying the famous line as he like starts advancing towards the six-fingered man and starts like fencing him just keeping like yelling you know my name is Inigo Montoya you killed my father prepare to die like over and over again and that's horrifying It's, it's legit scary. I would be scared. Yeah. I, I was, I think it's effective because he's trying to scare me. Yeah, he does a good job. He scared me too. Yeah, apparently, so here's another sad one. Apparently, uh... Uh, Manny Potemkin's father had died not too long before this movie. Mm-hmm. So he, he said he was actually feeling the scene a lot more than was probably appropriate for the tone of the movie. So he was like, no, I, I put myself way into this. So very dumbly for kids, cause I do want my father back. You son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that. I do feel that. It feels very real. It is strange how real it feels, considering what the movie is around. It. Yeah. But yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, I actually thought that. I not about that. Huh. Yeah, because they, cause they fight for a bit, and then... I don't remember if this happens. Do they... I don't know. Never mind. Sorry, I, I'm, I think I'm mixing things up a bit, because... They, they fight to the death, right? In this scene. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to make sure, because they fight for a bit, and then... Um, Six-Fingered Man tries to weasel out of it by offering Inigo whatever he, you know, whatever he wants, anything he wants. You want money, you want power, I'll give you money, I'll give you power. And Nico finally says, give me back my father. And of course he can't do that, so he just runs through the six-fingered man. And he gets his revenge after 20 years, so, good on him, I guess. And it works. Yeah. 
And, but it looks like he's about to die from his injuries. Don't worry though, that's over. <laughs> Everything will be fine. Yeah. Yeah. And back to Buttercup and Wesley. Yeah. Wesley noticed the. I don't know how he knows this, because he was not there. <laughs> the, the marriage didn't technically finish, so they're fine. Yeah. Well, I mean... Well, because he said... I think he said... Um, did you say I do? I guess according to marriage law, if you don't say I do, then the wedding's not valid. That sounds right. I haven't taken that class yet. Okay. That's fine with me. Then suddenly you have to sign the contract to make it valid or whatever. Okay. Uh, but then suddenly the prince appears. And he wants to duel Wesley to the death. Part is very strange, but I'm kind of it's, into it. It's a little, yeah. It's it's kind of a it's a bit of a strange, mostly monologue from Wesley about instead of dueling to the death, they want to duel. It was to the pain, right? Yeah. He was saying, Wesley was saying he was going to cut off the prince's feet and his hands and then like gouge out his eyes and the prince is like, oh, let me guess, you're going to cut up my tongue next. And it's like he's, he's very flippant about the whole thing. It's like, oh... So after you cut off my tongue, you're going to cut off my ears. And Wes is like, no, I'm going to leave your ears on so that whenever you have to, whenever anyone sees you, you will hear their screams of agony at having to view such a horrible visage. And it's like... Again. For kids. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh... No, but also, it's, it's just a strange... Like, he's lying there, clearly moving nothing but his chin. Because the prince thinks, oh, he can't actually do anything, but Wesley's trying, he's trying to be as threatening as possible while not moving. <laughs> you 
know, because he's, he's try, I guess he's trying to, he's trying to avoid an actual fight, obviously, because he can't fight. So he's just trying to get over his force of will alone that he will destroy the prince uh, physically and mentally. And I guess the prince thinks he can't ever actually beat anyone in a fight? I, I guess not, because... I mean, because then Wesley shows he has the strength to sit up. Well, he he's and he stood up. He he grabbed a sword and he held it at the prince. And he's like, "So, do you want to fight to the pain?" And the prince just drops his sword and is like, "No, I'm good." Yeah, he tells the prince to sit down, but, like, the prince wanted to fight a second ago. I don't know what the... Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, I think... I don't know. I just... I I think it was more like he didn't... He was afraid of the possibility of not just being swiftly murdered. I guess he didn't want to be tortured like the way he tortured other people, obviously. I guess that's what it was. I don't know. I don't know. It seemed strange to me. But I'm I'm okay with it. It was just Mm. that he seemed to totally switch gears from wanting to fight a guy to like, oh, I don't want to fight anyone who's awake. I'm like, I thought you did. Yeah. Greatest hunter in the world. Well, just because he's a good hunter doesn't mean he's a good fighter. Does it? Hmm. I guess not. I don't know. So, um, so then, princess ties him up, right? She ties up the prince, and we find out he was in fact bluffing, and he nearly falls over again. Wesley nearly falls over. I knew it, prince. I'm like, I knew it. You yeah. knew he was <laughs> bluffing. It's like, really? <laughs> if you knew he was bluffing, why didn't you fight him? <laughs> I like how he trails off at the end, like, even though it's, it's just very good watching. <laughs> yeah. I knew he was bluffing. <laughs> yeah. Then all of a sudden... We have... Andrew with four white horses. <laughs> He just shows up outside. He yells, Oh, lady. 
is uh, Buttercup peering out the window. <laughs> I love him. The horses are so small. That's <laughs> like. Yeah, but what do you say? Like I found these horses and no one was near them, so I, I took <laughs> yeah. them. Yeah, <laughs> that you was know. like his whole. Yeah, like just in case we might need them later. And it turns out we needed them later. So here I am. It's <laughs> great. And then. It's kind of weird because the goes there again. He says, Fezzik, you did something right. He hasn't been fucking up a lot. Yeah. Like, what's that about? I don't know. What's that line referring to? He's been doing a lot of things right. <laughs> yeah. So they, uh, they leap. They, they toss the princess down. Andre catches her. He catches her. And they, they all... Yeah, actually, again, had to be like a harness thing, but... Yeah. 